Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Sybil. And I'm Serena. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're kicking off our first annual Christmas rom-com series with the 2003 modern classic Love Actually. We'll talk about writer-director Richard Curtis, the creator behind Notting Hill, About Time, Four Weddings and a Funeral, and more. And we'll reveal which couples made us feel that love actually is all around us, and which ones we'd leave out of the movie entirely, as we share our rankings of the film's storylines from worst to best. All this and more on today's Every Rom-Com. Hello, everybody. Hey. Hi. So today's theme, I'm going to announce in advance, is Christmas and boat noise, because Serena's <laughs> on her boat, and we, we've had unusual amounts of boat noise today, but we're going we're gonna to go with it. This is, a Serena- live, this is a live show for us, so if we hear boat noise, it just adds the excitement. <laughs> and Serena, I want to congratulate you on, on driving the boat now, being the captain. Oh, thank you. Ooh. Thank you. And how long has it been now that you've been captaining? Um, officially just like a few weeks, actually. I've had my license for about two years now, but I haven't been like the master until about like three weeks ago. <laughs> um, this, this this suddenly like segued into like a BDSM land, so. That's <laughs> what it feels like sometimes, but. Totally. <laughs> and so we're beginning this week also our Christmas rom-com series and the first of many, no doubt, because there's so many freaking Christmas rom-coms. Yeah. And, yeah. And I wanted to ask you guys, do you actually watch romantic comedies around Christmas or do you tend to watch other things? I actually watch a ton of rom-coms around Christmas just because they tend to have the same actors that you really love all together. So what are some examples of those that you like to watch? Um, like The Holiday is one of my favorites. So that's one. Um, Bridget Jones Diary is one. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that we're going to be talking about a bunch of these when we talk about, you know, later in our app. In our double features. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Serena, do you watch rom-coms around Christmas? Um, you know, I'm more of like the Christmas like comedy. Like I think of like uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation um, is more of what I feel like I would watch. Or like Edward Scissorhands. I know it's not a rom-com in any way, but it's very Christmassy to me for some reason. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, does, is it set, I haven't seen that in ages. That one's set at Christmas? I think so. I mean, it's winter. Yeah, it is. Hmm. Yeah, I want to say it's winter because there there's lights, but it's in California. So there's like yeah. there's this very there's a scene where he's like um, doing an ice sculpture and then it snows and it's yeah, yeah it, it is it's Cal- it's definitely like Los Angeles Christmas. Hmm. Yeah. And like, what are your c- kind of like Christmas go tos? Like, what are things that you have to watch every year? Little Women. Which which version? <laughs> Any of them? All of them? Wow, you're just like uh, there. All of them now. Serena, what about you? Anything? Uh, I think I just said. I think I just said like Edward Scissorhands, um, Nightmare Before Christmas, um, yeah, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I, I'm wow, gonna add the Night like- Before, which is a new one for me, but now it's like I have to. I love that film so much. Was that the one? Um, yes. that we talked about on the Warm Bodies episode. Yeah, it certainly was. 
Nice, nice. Wait, what is the director? Jonathan Levine, duh. Yes. Yeah, the so Jonathan freaking Levine. good. Yeah, you guys have totally different ones than me. It's so funny. Like, I'm like Muppets Christmas Carol, must, every year. <laughs> like, that's like Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. It's a Wonderful Life. I know it's cheesy, but oh, I still God. freaking cry at It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, don't, don't diss It's a Wonderful Life right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that like, one. It was like torture as a child. I'm like, oh, not this again. Oh, I cry. It's like so meaningful to me. And then but, um, yeah. Pee-wee's Christmas special. And nobody else understands why I love Pee-wee's Christmas right. special That's so right. much. If we're like, talking I old tr- school, I love White Christmas. So I do tend to watch that every year and nobody understands why. So I get it. Oh, Sophia mentioned doing that one for maybe doing that one for the, the pod I, this year. I so. love White yeah. Christmas. I love it. Yeah. Well, we might be talking about that later. So yeah. So are there any Christmas things you hate? I think, Sybil, you already started to answer that. It's a wonderful life, for sure. It's like torture. It's are you just bored? Or? It's just black and white. It's oh, boring. Oh, I love black and white. Oh, my God. It's Wait, boring. you don't like any black and white movies? I mean, <laughs> most of new- them. I, when they colorize <laughs> them, they're so much better. Oh, my God. <laughs> but also, it's just really boring. I'm just like in the this, – the story is just like for me. I'm like, oh, who cares? Yeah, we're opposites on that totally, one. Totally, okay. totally. Um, I also really don't like the Muppets Christmas or Pee Wee's big <gasps> like Pee Wee stuff. So yeah, all together, all of your picks, I'd be like, oh, I cannot spend Christmas with you. I would. Yeah, we I, couldn't. It would be horror. Day after Christmas, we're okay. Mm, yeah, before yeah. Christmas, w- not working. Although I could do Little Women. I'll, I'll go. I with like Little that. Women. Um, yeah. One of the Christmas movies that I love to watch is actually Pieces of April, which is actually Thanksgiving. But for me, I always watch it for Christmas. Oh, interesting. Which is weird. Which and nobody else likes that. So that's most people are like, you want to watch this? I'm like, I know it's about broken people, but I love it. And let's see, I'm trying to think if I hate any Christmas things. Now I can't like recall. I think I actually don't like National Lampoons. Sorry, Serena. Yeah, I get that. Really? Oh, oh my, my husband God. loves really? it. Lee loves it. It's so it. quotable. It's so quotable. It's so funny. But I don't. <laughs> I, I don't get. Everyone loves Elf. Like, oh I, God, that was just amazing. Not, I'm, I'm not neutral. a Will Ferrell person. I'm like, yeah. Oh, it's kind of a little a too much. I get it, though. I get it. Not everybody's for him. I, I want to know how everybody feels about planes, trains, and automobiles. I'll watch it for Lee because he loves it. So I'll watch yeah. it for him. I'm just kind okay. of indifferent to it. It's like neutral to me. Yeah, I had to. I had to watch Home Alone for the first time last Christmas. I hadn't watched it in forever. And surprisingly, I hadn't watched it in years and years and years. And I, I, I liked it. I was like, hey, I think I like this more than when I watched it as a kid. Wow. Yeah. Well, I forgot to mention one more, and I'm going to mention one more, which is my absolute favorite all-time rom-com, and I watch it around Christmas, which is When Harry Met Sally. I consider it Christmas rom-com because it takes place part of it around Christmas and New Year's, Mm -hmm. so it works for me. I was going to do it on the pod this year, but I have like this whole vision of how I want to podcast about that movie, so it's not happening until next year, but yeah. I feel that way about Sleepless in Seattle. It's not really a Christmas film, even though it like kind of tertiarily um, talks about Christmas. I'm going to do yeah. a shout out for a second for um, Mainlining Christmas, the blog, which is a friend of ours, uh, Aaron Schneider. He has an entire thing on Christmas movies and Christmas things and cool. tertiary films. He's like, that's not really Christmas. <laughs> Wait, does wait, does he is he saying is he against these things being included? Well, he's like, if, so his rule is if it just happens to take part of it just happens to take place around Christmas, it technically isn't a Christmas thing. He yeah. got very hardcore about it. He's like, so like, you know, it because it takes place over a period of time, does it that happens to fall in Christmas, is it a Christmas movie? Or did they just set it in Christmas because they wanted to make box office because it's a Christmas film? 
Like for me, if there's even one Christmas song in it or a Christmas tree, yeah. I will count it. Like when Harry Met Sally has um, Walking in a Winter Wonderland over a montage. So I'm like, done. You're in. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. But anyway. I, I, always, I always say that Aaron Schneider, because like this is all he does, mainlining Christmas. Like his, he's, his rules are firm for me. Yeah. I'll make my own rules. I do That's what I right. like. That's why. That's why you have your own podcast. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, before we get started with today's episode, a special note. This week, because of the popularity and complexity of the movie, we are not going to have spoiler section. So if you haven't watched Love Actually and want an unspoiled experience, stop listening now. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at every romcom, and our Twitter handle is at every romcom pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And now we're going to listen to a little bit of the trailer for Love Actually. Throughout the years, working title films and writer Richard Curtis have captured the euphoria, hysteria, and humiliation of love. With the films Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, and Bridget Jones's Diary. This holiday season, join this unforgettable filmmaking team. Welcome, Prime Minister. This is Natalie. Hello, David. I mean, sir. 20 years ago, you'd have been just his time. <laughs> As they explore that time of year, when desires are revealed. I'm in love. Aren't you too young to be in love? No. Oh, okay. Secrets are exposed. Your secretary is very pretty. Be careful, though. And chances are finally taken. All I want for Christmas is you. <laughs> Universal Pictures invites you. What's the best sex you've ever had? Britney Spears. No, I ain't kidding. <laughs> she was rubbish. To take everything you know about love. You have this kind of problem? Yeah, of course you did, you saucy mings. And multiply it by eight. you excuse me for one second okay that's done this will be hugh grant liam neeson colin firth laura linney emma thompson alan rickman rowan atkinson kira knightley christmas is the time to be with the people you love yeah i need a car this holiday season Hello, does Natalie live here? All you need. Oh. Hello. Is love actually? Are you seeing carols? I suppose I could. Please, Good King Winceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen. When the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even. I think that's the end. I'm sorry. <laughs> So, like, what do you guys think of this trailer, though? I mean, it it does the job. The trailer tells you pretty much the whole movie. You're there. It's like all the music that wasn't in the movie, as usual. Okay. Yeah. 
It's totally different kept, flavor. I just kept thinking how that Britney Spears joke just did not age well. I was like, no. there's a lot of stuff in that movie that does not age well. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we still watch it. I mean, I still watch it. Do you guys watch this like once a year or not? Or like? I did probably like for like a decade when it first came out. And I actually just watched it last night um, again because everything I was just kind of basing off of like my memory. Um, and it was interesting watching it now. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. I see mm-hmm. how that was. Oh, okay. That was oh, that's kind of a faux pas now. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I watched it every year up until about five years ago, when about five years ago, I was like, you know what? I don't think that this movie's aging that well at this point. And I kind of am not as much into this film as I want. I wish somebody would like revamp this maybe a little bit at this point. Oh, wow. Okay. This is going to be a juicy discussion then. Yeah. So um, I try to just remember, it's like one of those films I wish I could remember my love of better, you know, if I just stopped watching it. So that was- That's interesting. Yeah. Because I've had like an opposite trajectory, which we'll talk about a little more when we talk more in depth about our opinion. But I've I've kind of gone from like being completely bewildered why everybody was watching it to being like more into it. So mm-hmm. different journeys. Anyway, let's uh let's tell about a little about the film. Love actually came out in two thousand and three. It was written and directed by Richard Curtis, and it's starring Hugh Grant, Emma Thompson, Liam Neeson, and basically every British actor you can imagine. Uh, The premise of it is, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, a group of Londoners with various connections to each other fall in and out of love. Okay, and there's some a few. I've learned a few interesting things about the movie that I didn't know before. So first of all, I learned that Richard Curtis, like a couple of the storylines in Love Actually, he was actually going to make into whole films, like especially the one with the prime minister falling in love. That was going to be a whole film, and I kind of wish he just made that film. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> like, yeah, well, we'll talk about more about that later. But um. So he decided, though, that he had all these different ideas, and he also loved, like, multi-storyline films, like Nashville and Shortcuts. So he just decided, well, I'm going to make my own multi-storyline film. And it wasn't originally set at Christmas, either. It was just going to be a big, you know, rom-com mashup of all these different love stories. So there were originally... There were originally 14 different storylines, and then four were nixed before the movie came out. Two of them had actually been shot as well. And one of the ones that had been shot was a a, a storyline about an older lesbian couple where one of the women is dying of some kind of terminal illness. You can actually see the footage from that um, online. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. Have either of you seen that one or yeah. heard about it? Yeah, no, Wait. I haven't. Sybil, you had? Yeah. So um, I saw, Nils and I actually saw three versions of this. We saw advanced screenings in Los Angeles of this film. So um, I had a hookup when I lived in Los Angeles and we would get to see advanced screenings all the time. And when we saw this the first time, I actually told my dude, hey, if they show this again, let me know. And so the very first screening of this had that cut in it. By the second time we watched it, it did not have it in it anymore. Wow. So like- which of the three that you saw, what do you think was the strongest? Um, um, you know, it's actually hard. It was so long ago. It's hard for me to remember. I just noticed that after, by the second time that, that storyline was gone. And I was, I was like, of course that storyline, it was super <laughs> sad. It was mm. so sad. And I don't think anybody wanted it in there. Um, mm. And, you know, it was contentious anyways, because like lesbians at that time as well. And then you also had the, and I'll talk about this later, but the 
scene with the couple where they're the stand-ins that one changed so much between the two so i think that's why that they they screened it so many times because they were seeing how much they could actually put in of like naked couples banging okay (laughs) okay so apparently some of the other cut storylines and i don't know if you saw any of these included there was one with a girl in a wheelchair that's what it says about it that's it two schoolgirls in love it doesn't say whether they're in love with each other or just with other people and then a guy who records an entire album about a girl he's in love with did any of those make the no they didn't and i was like i'm like oh i would have loved to see the two scroll girl school girls that would have been so sweet and just like i mean so interesting you can see that like curtis is like so like available to do things when nobody else was doing stuff like this yeah except they didn't make it in unfortunately they didn't well you know it's still hollywood it's still studios yeah so then um, the original concept of the movie was also to have a mixture of like really big stars and unknown actors. But like, as we've seen over time, a lot of the lesser known actors from this movie have also become huge stars. Like some of them like were just very small roles, even in this movie. And Richard Curtis credits casting director, Mary Selway for making such great choices and sort of inadvertently like defeating his purpose of trying to have unknowns, but I guess you have unknowns. So they become bigger. So it's true. It's true. And some of these people I think were on the cusp at the time as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it cost about $40 million to make and ended up grossing 246 million worldwide. That is not shabby at all, especially for a rom-com, not an action movie. Okay, and then in 2017, some of the cast and crew got together to produce a mini sequel to Love Actually for charity. It's called Red Nose Day, actually. It's for the charity for children and families facing hunger. I watched it. Like, I kind of didn't, wasn't really into it. I don't know if you guys have seen it, the sequel thing. No, I have. Yeah. Oh, you have? What did you think? Were you into I it? I, I thought it like it brought back like the feels a little bit. But remember, like by 2017, that was when I was like, I'm not really into love actually as much anymore. Yeah, for yeah. me, I was just like, I didn't, I, some of the storylines, I thought they were just sort of repeating the jokes from the first movie, which of course you do, but like, it didn't really offer me anything new. You know what I mean? I think it was, it was just, just supposed to be nostalgia. Yeah, nostalgia and raising money for charity, which is good. Raising money for charity is good, but yeah. Like, I don't think it's a must see or anything. Yeah. So when you got, did you guys all see it in the theater? You did, obviously, Sybil. Did you also, yeah. Serena? Um, I don't know if I saw it in the theater, but I, I think I, I saw it pretty soon after it came out for sure. Yeah. Same with me. I'm not sure exactly where I saw it, but I saw it pretty soon after. And like, so you guys, did you both really like it when it came out then? Yes. Were you big? I, yeah. Were you like fans? I, like, would you say? Like- I think I begrudgingly liked it. I think <laughs> I I think it was like a secret. I think at the time, like, it was a little schmaltzy, like amongst my friends, which were your friends too, Jennifer. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it was kind of like, oh, this is cheesy. But I, I think I liked it in secret. <laughs> it was a secret shame. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was like a guilty pleasure. Like, yeah. oh, I shouldn't like this because this is like too schmaltzy to like, but... I actually do. Um, I loved it. And I told everyone to go watch it. So like when it, like I went, the first time we, we viewed it, I was like, everyone, this movie is going to be coming out. It's so amazing. It's going to be coming out for the holiday season. Make sure you see it. It's going to be the movie of the season. 
I was watching this movie and I loved rom-coms and I had no shame being schmaltzy. Like I was already getting made fun of by our friends for liking Olivia Newton-John. So like whatever. Um, but I watched it and I, I, I think it rubbed me kind of the wrong way when I first saw it, except for a few of the plot lines. Like it was like a very, and we'll get to the critiques, the common critiques. Mm-hmm. I agreed with a lot of them. It's like a very sort of man fantasy rom-com in a lot of ways. Mm. Like some of the, some of the plot lines I really hated. Like I've, I hated the Liam Neeson and little kid one, but then I hate it now. <laughs> Like it's it, so many of the plot lines are based upon guy has a crush on girl. He's never talked to even once based on the way she looks guy succeeds in getting the girl because reasons like that kind of thing. I was just like, why? Like I, that kind of thing has always bothered me. And there were just like, not as many female characters to relate to as there are in a lot of rom-coms, like mm-hmm. a lot of rom-coms. There's like this one central female character you can really identify with. So I guess like for me, it was like, uh, I don't see why everyone loves it so much, but then over the years, I find I watch it every single year. And at first I was just watching it. I'm like, oh, I'm just hate watching this. But I didn't hate it while I was watching it. I was enjoying it. You know what I mean? So how yes. long can you say that you're hate watching something before you realize you just like it? Yes. I don't know. Um, I've never thought of it from like a male, like a male scope like that. Um, I just know that I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed most of the jokes and I enjoyed the acting. I thought the acting was amazing. The writing is pretty darn tight. Um, the music is fantastic. And I think for me, a lot of it was just that it, it like it was very clever and fun and light. Many people hated this because they didn't feel it was actually a rom-com, right? Because there are a lot of parts that aren't, they aren't happy. People don't get together, right? It's not joyous. Not every, it's not happily ever after for everyone. But I always like that part because it's, it really is about love. Actually, I think that what I really enjoyed about it is it's all of the versions of love. Like not, not all love is the same like straight line. Yeah. And that's what I always enjoyed about it. I agree. I agree with that. I think that's one of the reasons why I like it so much. Cause it isn't, there is more truth to it than I think a lot of typical rom-coms, which I yeah. mostly think are like pure fantasy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so for both of you, you liked it when you first came out. And then over the years, it hasn't aged well for you. Yeah. Like, when did you first notice that? Like, really? My, mine was probably around like 2017. When I realized, like, my perspective, all of a sudden, I was like, you know, some of these, like that Britney Spears joke, some of the jokes were just aging very poorly for me. And I was like, wow, I just I'm like, it's really hard to watch on this. And some of the jokes had always kind of been like, uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, this like, the chick is not fat. She's oh, yeah, not, she's yeah. never been fat. <laughs> and Actually, that always yeah. pissed me off. Yeah. And I'm like, she's not. So maybe these chunky jokes, they're uncomfortable and not right. But yeah. then like you have the Britney Spears joke and you have some like, you have some like off color, almost racist jokes. And I was just like, Ooh, I'm just like, this is not the world for this movie anymore. And also I just felt like what you said, Jennifer, where I started noticing, I'm like, this is very like male dominated and the women are kind of just, secondary to what's going on yeah like the at least in the happy stories i feel like it's mm-hmm. male in the happy stories yeah but in the sad stories where like nobody gets with it, it's like the they women just are- seem really sad <laughs> like the women women look like they, they're put upon very they're poor like a poor light yeah yeah anyway and serena how about you when did you start to like kind of turn on it mm, i guess probably like as i got older and i, I couldn't relate to a lot of the stories anymore um, they just seemed like kind of contrived or something. Yeah, but you were just saying it felt real then before. <laughs> so, yeah, it- I think that's what I liked about it initially. But then, yeah. like, I 
even in this last watching, like even just watching like the wedding, the wedding scene, like the opening oh, scene, I was mm-hmm. like, and I'm not a marriage person. Like, so I, I think weddings are not for me anyways. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was just like, Oh my God, this is terrible. You know, <laughs> that's hilarious. I love that scene, <laughs> which is funny. I can't wait yeah. to talk about that one. I can't wait to talk about that one. Cause I've always had a problem. I, even when it first came out, I was like, what up with this wedding? What up? Oh my God. I love that's what, Okay. We'll talk about that later. We'll, we'll table mm. that. Cause I want to go in deep on that right. one. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah. And, but for me, it's been the opposite. Like I can tell, like, yeah, I, I see that it's aged poorly, but like, I really, I don't have a problem watching things that have aged poorly. Like I'll just put that away in my memory bank. Like, oh yeah, this is wrong, but mm-hmm. I like this part. You know, I can like sift things pretty well. That's how that, I mean, if you want to watch any movie that's like pre 1970s or even like pre 2000s, really, you have to be prepared to be like, well, that didn't age well sifting that one out and as a woman I feel like I grew up having to like you know be able to enjoy entertainment by taking all of it with a little bit of a grain of salt because like so much entertainment is so hostile to women like even today so yeah even if it's on a low-key way that people don't really notice like you're just like oh yeah it's yeah great <laughs> anyway anyway so we'll we'll get into it more as we go through so I'm going to introduce a little bit about writer-director um, Richard Curtis. And just like with Love Actually, I have feelings about the movie that are mixed. I have feelings about his entire body of work that are mixed, too. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I love it, but some of it I also have problems with. So Love Actually was his feature directing debut. And he has only directed two other features, The Boat That Rocked and About Time. And he also wrote those. Have you guys seen the other two as well, or...? I haven't. I hadn't even heard of the both the rock. So now it's going on my list. But I um I enjoy about about time. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like about time. I mean, it's also kind of more centered around the guy. But I mean, in that case, it makes a lot of sense. So yeah. yeah. And anyway, he has a what Richard Curtis is more known for though is he has a ton of writing credits. He got his start writing TV comedy. Um, he wrote various Black Adder series that featured Rowan Atkinson a.k.a. Mr. Bean, and he later went on to write for the Mr. Bean TV series, and I think the movie as well. Mm-hmm. And then his first feature screenplay was for The Tall Guy, with which Emma Thompson starred in, I think with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Yeah, you've seen that one? Yeah, great movie, great movie. <laughs> and then he went on to write the screenplays, and this is, this is where we get into the heavy hitters. He wrote the screenplays for Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones's Diary, which was, of course, based on the book, the Bridget Jones is The Edge of Reason, War Horse, and Yesterday. So he's got quite a filmography behind him. Yeah. And yeah, and, and I feel the same way about some of these movies. So I love Four Weddings and a Funeral. I also think it's very like male POV. Like mm-hmm. I never understood why anybody's interested in Andy McDowell in that movie. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. No. I could, we could have a whole conversation about Andy McDowell on, on uh, like really. On another episode. Well, I like her in Green Card. It's not Andy McDowell. We, it's the way she's written. We could have an entire podcast about Andy McDowell for real. <laughs> but not right now. <laughs> not right now, but we could because it, it would take an entire hour at least. <laughs> okay, okay. But it, but I'm saying for me, it's not her. That's the problem. It's just the way the character is written. It's just such a placeholder to me. It's like, oh, here's a pretty woman I met at a wedding. Meanwhile, my best friend's in love with me. And like, I, she's much more interesting. I don't know. It's just to me, it was like... I love Four Weddings and a Funeral. I also have some problems with it. Notting Hill. I know you love Notting Hill. I've just never been able to get into it. It's the same thing. It's Notting like, amazing. what's so, so great brilliant. about this woman? Like, she's pretty. Okay. She's Notting famous. Hill okay. It's beautifully shot. It's incredibly executed. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic film. 
I'm just saying the story. It just doesn't do so for me. Like I respect Richard Curtis's talent. I think he's a great writer, but I think his POV for me, it's like very male fantasy based sometimes. And that's the only, that's the problem I have. I I think of the movies, Bridget Jones is the one I like the most and it was written by a woman. So there you go. The original story. So yeah. Anyway, but he's a very talented dude. Like you guys tend to like Richard, like Sybil, I think it's obvious you like Richard. Yeah, I do. I like, I like his stuff. And like, do you have a favorite of his stuff? Or like, uh, Notting Hill is probably my favorite. And Serena, do you have any interaction with Richard Curtis? Or eh, like, I'm or? kind of indifferent. I did really like Four Weddings and a Funeral um, when it first came out. I haven't seen it in a really long time, so I I don't know how I would look at it now as like a middle aged woman. <laughs> I think it still I think it still stands up, but I think a lot of why it stands up is the gay couple in the movie. Yeah. Actually, it yeah, felt yeah. very um, progressive at the time. Yeah, and I mean, I think it was, and it, and I do, I, I I think that's my favorite of his work as well. Yeah, and so Richard Curtis has been announced as a writer on a faithful adaptation of The Little Mermaid, so like nothing to do with Disney, just based on the original fairy tale. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. Mm-hmm. And um, Richard Curtis, um, a quote that I liked by him, he told Elle magazine that he loves Christmas and he loves love, and quote. The three things that matter most to me in life and give me most of my joy and all of my sorrows are friends, family, and love, which is why I write about them. Superheroes or serial killers or armies, it's not my business to write about that. End quote. So I like that. All right. So we're ready to get into the movie, more or less. So we're, we're not to the rankings yet. I just really wanted to quickly nod to the opening montage, which is like a bunch of different people at the arrivals gate at Heathrow, like all, you know, hugging each other, like after they got back from their flight. And did you guys know that this was actually real footage of real people? Yeah. I yeah. I think that's awesome. They like had a hidden camera, then they got everyone's permission to be on it. And it like, mm-hmm. when I, when I watched it again, knowing that it made it richer for me. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do you guys like the framing device or what do you feel about it? I do. I do really like that scene. It kind of, it kind of reminds me, you know, you get like caught up in like Facebook, like Facebook pictures. It felt like, it felt like that kind of like a voyeuristic. Um, I don't know how you get caught up in Facebook pictures. <laughs> Tell me more. I was being very silent. I was like, I don't know. I don't know things, how to describe this. I'm thing. sorry. Well, you know, all these things pop up like, oh, there's all these pictures of, you know, like um, a lot of times it's military, like military families getting reunited. And there's like mm-hmm. videos and videos and videos of that. And sometimes like I'll just get caught up in it. Like, oh, my God, that's so amazing, you know. Okay, okay. I thought you were like going to your friend's Facebook pages and like looking at all their pictures and just being like, oh my God, it's so sweet. You're silently stalking people. <laughs> I mean, I do that too, but. I mean, that's, I don't think that's actually stalking. If somebody has a picture on Facebook, they, they should expect that people are going to look at it. So, but yeah, but I was just imagining you doing that. And I was like, that's something I didn't know about, Serena. Anyway, so yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like just watching other people's emotion, yeah, yeah. in that, yeah, in that kind of voyeuristic way. Yeah, I, I, it gave me a new appreciation for it. And um, I couldn't get a clip of this, but I'm gonna do unless somebody else wants to do their best Hugh Grant impression and re- read the opening speech. Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinions starting to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed but I don't see that. It seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends, 
When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. I just want to say, Sybil, like you didn't use a British accent, but yet still I felt some of the essence of Hugh Grant in your delivery. So it was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah. So like, what do you guys think about this opening, this speech? Do you like feel like it's a works? You know, do you think the airport's a good place for this, for this kind of scene? I've actually always loved this particular monologue and it's always spoken to me, the idea, especially like the twin towers and the idea that we, we actually do like love each other. And if we don't think about all the other stuff, like given the opportunity to love and or hate, we actually will pick love over hate at like in a crisis. I like that. I like that optimism. Serena. Um, I don't, I felt weird about like the twin tower mention. I'm not sure why, maybe cause it just, it ages it somehow, but it's like, I forget how, critical that time was i guess yeah but i do really like this scene because i do like that airport scene um for some reason i don't know why that twin tower like part just rubbed me the wrong way and i don't know why Who knows? when you first saw it even or like no this last time this okay. last time i don't know how i felt the first time but um this last time i was like oh why are we talking okay. about that I agree that it ages it, but at the time, like in 2003, if you'd made a movie with a prominent scenes in an airport and you hadn't mentioned the Twin Towers, it would almost be weird, I think, you know, because oh, like, okay. people were so like obsessed thinking about it at that yeah. time, is mm-hmm. what I recall. Like right. so it's much true. of our, so much of our politics was centered around what to do about this, like, and yeah, and, and so, and every year, like the, the anniversary would come around, people wouldn't even want to fly on that day. Like some people still don't. Like yeah. now I'm like, oh, good chance for a discount, basically. Mm-hmm. But well, yeah, and I, I think I mean, I think, yes, it ages that you, you can talk about the Twin Towers, but it's still a relevant piece of our history. The Twin mm-hmm. Towers, I mean, it's a huge piece of our history. It's a turning point point in American history. And it is something that you can point to and say, when the Twin Towers came down, we have all this historical data that people didn't call people to be like, I hate you, I want you dead, or you owe me money, or whatever they called to say, I love you, mm-hmm. which is the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, I think it works overall. Like one thing that I thought of when I saw the movie the first time was, um, so Ani DeFranco has a song called "The Arrivals Gate," yeah, which was on her album. Oh, yeah, you you too. Yeah, yeah, it came out. It came out in 1999 on her album "To the Teeth," and it's like the same message essentially. Totally. Like it says, "Going to go out to the arrivals gate at the airport and sit there all day, watch people reuniting. Public affection so exciting. It even makes airports okay." Watching children run with their arms outstretched just to throw those arms around their grandpa's necks. Watching lovers plant kisses, old men to their misses at the arrivals gate. And like, I just, I don't, I'm not saying at all that Richard Curtis cribbed it. I think it was just like a sentiment that was maybe in the air at the time, you know, yeah. and they both caught it. Yeah. Any more to say about this section, anybody? Mm-mm. Nope. Okay. Okay. So we're going to get into the rankings already then. Yay. Okay. This so- is the good part. Yay. <laughs> So this episode, we're going to do something different than we've done on previous films. Um, Because it's a well-known film and most people have opinions about it already, we're going to give you our opinions by sharing our rankings of the couples in Love Actually from worst to best. And I thought it was good to do it from worst to best because that's how countdowns are usually done. And also you'll get to hear us ragging on things, which is funny, right at the top of the episode. <laughs> and, and and this is how I arranged the rankings. So basically everybody ranked the couples one to nine, one being the best. 
I added up all our numbers. Um, lower numbers obviously are a high, equals a higher score in this case. And there were two instances of ties, actually. So in those cases, we're going to tell you there was a tie, but I also gave a little bit of extra weight to people's ratings who rated them like one or two or eight or nine, because just like that means they cared more about that ranking. I just know that when I looked at this, I was like, this was a lot of math and I'm glad I didn't have to do it. It's not that hard. (laughs) It's really not that hard. (laughs) And it wasn't that scientific, Sybil, so don't worry. I was, I was, I was like, damn, I'm glad I didn't. So thank you, Jen, for doing all this math. No problem. And um, we're going to reveal our, we're going to now reveal our rankings and we're going to discuss the stories in order from worst to best or lowest to highest ranked scenes. And um, we're going to tell you like what we rank them, what our friend, what our partners in the podcast rank them. And then we're going to just introduce a little about them. And then we're going to dish on like why we think the way we do. Anyway, this introduction is probably longer than the rest of the podcast. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So Sybil, you're going to start us off. All right. At number nine, the Kira Knightley Love Triangle. I rated it nine. I rated it seven. And I also rated it seven. So this is the Kira Knightley Love Triangle. Kira Knightley, which you might know from Bend It Like Beckham, Pirates of the Caribbean, Pride and Prejudice uh, from 2005 version. She plays Juliet, who is the bride of Chiwetel Ejiofor, who you might know from 12 Years a Slave 2012 and Firefly, which by the way, if you're a Firefly fan, high five out there. He <laughs> is Peter the Groom. And we also have Andrew Lincoln from The Walking Dead. I think we all know Andrew Lincoln from The Walking Dead at this point. Hello out yeah, there. Yeah. 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 And at this point, Andrew Lincoln was like a nobody. So he plays the best man. And he's also the dude who is in love with Juliet. There is this huge love triangle that's going on. We start out with this beautiful big wedding and it's all magical and there's like a surprise that goes on that you know mark who is played you know andrew lincoln mark is going out and he's like i've made this big to do he has a bunch of people in the audience who have been hidden there which i don't understand how because there's like 10 people in that audience so not really sure (laughs) how he's hidden such a huge band but this band jumps out and they play beautiful music for everyone and the bride, who is, you know, Kira Knightley, is like, yay, I just want a beautiful picture of myself um, coming down the aisle. And what's important is that she doesn't get it. And this becomes a problem because when she goes to Mark later and is like, hi, I just want a picture of myself, you find out that Mark is crazy, crazy in love with her and doesn't hate her at all. And this is where you find out this big love triangle. Yeah. And then like that leads into like this scene where Mark comes over the one that the most popular probably or well-known maybe yeah, not the popular. most famous scene which is reused everywhere right yeah where which is where Mark shows up at Juliet and and um fuck I can't Peter's shows up at Juliet these people's names make no difference yeah she sh- he shows up at Juliet and Peter's house and like um he's holding all these signboards yeah and like they're all like revealing his love to her silently while her freaking husband's in the other room and like this is like the big showpiece of the movie that's supposed to be super romantic so that's like the culmination of that story basically right and she's pretending that it's, he, he's pretending that it's like Christmas singers right that's carolers mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. right and so he's he's like putting all these poster boards down and he's playing music like, you know, and while well, he's being like, I love you and I'm going to get over you, blah, blah, blah. And then she like kisses him. 
Yeah, she runs out afterwards and kisses yeah, him. She doesn't kiss him right on the, the porch, but yeah, like that's the story. Yeah. yeah, not awkward or weird. Okay. So why did you rank it ninth, Sybil? Why is like Sybil, Serena and I both ranked it low too, but why ninth for you? Um, I have always not liked this one. First of all, I think that um, that you know Juliet, she has she has no like personality in this. It's supposed to be her wedding, right? But she is not. She's a non-person for this wedding. <laughs> She's the person who like walks around. She's the person who's literally on a film and walks around just trying to get a picture of herself. She seems so vapid. And her husband is a non-person as well. And so it's yeah. all through the, the eye of Mark. And Mark yeah. is like, I'm obsessed with you. And I know I shouldn't be. But I am. And then I'm going to try yeah. to get over you. But then he's like, once he's made the decision to try to get over her, her she goes and kisses him, which I'm like, that's just creepy to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, also, like, in real life, like, what would happen, like, realistically, if somebody who was kind of semi stalking you, if you then kissed them, would would he say enough, like, like he does in this movie? Or would he just become more obsessed with you? Yes. Like, everything about this particular storyline just weirded me out. Like, everything <laughs> about it. Even from the first time I watched it, I was like, this storyline weirds me out. It's not romantic to me in any way. It's weirdly stalkery. It freaked me out. She has no purpose. She has no story of herself. And I was weirded. And also Mark, see, he plays it very creepy. Oh, you think so? Yeah, no, he plays it like I'm like, I could believe that he has like, you know, women tied up in fridges or something. Oh my God. <laughs> so Serena, do you have any comments on what Sybil's just um, laid out? It does start out pretty weird. I mean, mind you, I just watched it, so it's very fresh in my mind. But there, there is the opening scene between um, uh, Mark and Peter, where Mark is obviously like the best man at the wedding, and then Peter says, "Like we're we're not going to have any surprises, like the bachelorette party where you brought in like some Brazilian strippers that turned out to be like male prostitutes." And I was like, "Did you do you remember that part?" Because I yeah. I do, but like yeah. I just kind of washes over me because it seems so insignificant, <laughs> like a throwaway yeah, line. Seems- it seems more significant now because I'm thinking because I know how it ends up and I'm like, is was he trying to like get his like best friend to like cheat oh, on yeah, his, like in trouble? Yeah, oh. like cheat on his mm-hmm. soon to be wife like at the bachelorette party by like so they like, were though they were dudes. Remember like they're dudes because remember he also he also in the side says well and they also you know he he mentions that they're essentially it comes out that they were met they weren't chicks they yes were yes yes like was he trying to set up like a scandal like i don't know but like to like ruin this I, he has a weird sense of humor which also <laughs> weirds me out i mean he's just a weird guy he's a weird yeah. guy he is a weird so, guy but weird guys do exist in the real world so i know, I know. but should they but be in mark a movie is, mark made my like <laughs> my spidey sense of like weird dude go off <laughs> I don't know if they should be the protagonist, like one of the protagonists in the movie, I guess is like, right. yeah, where I would come down. Okay, but I'm going to say I'm going to disagree with you guys because you both have already cast dispersions on this wedding. The wedding <laughs> scene is actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie, despite me ranking this seven. It only gets ranked seven probably because of this wedding, because I love the song All You Need Is Love. Okay, I love it. If I had been married in a church like that and in that kind of situation, I would have loved it if a band started playing and singers started singing. That would have been like the most awesome thing ever. And I would have been and it's such a beautifully rendered version of that song too. Like that I still get like happy face and yeah, and I I really would have liked it better if I'd known more about Juliet and Peter though. Like what you said about them being non-people is totally true. Like you just yeah. don't get any character development of them. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and then the moment when that song is playing though, I'm happy for them. I don't care mm-hmm. about Mark. I'm like, I want to know more about Juliet and Peter. And I'm I'm gonna defend Juliet a little bit. I don't think like 
I think she probably would be a good person, like not vapid. I think just like there's a tendency to want good pictures of your wedding after your wedding. But yeah, that's all she's written as. She doesn't give in right. much well, more motivation. And I agree. She's probably not that person, but because that's all you get to see. Yeah. You know, and once again, I, I, I've said it before that this is an incredibly well acted film. You put somebody who's not here nightly in that role and suddenly you're like, Juliet's stupid and I hate her. <laughs> Right. I do I do want to give like the the casting or whatever a little bit of credit because I do remember when I saw this at the time that they were a mixed race couple that yeah. for some reason kind of stood out to me like being someone who's biracial and is usually in some sort of mixed race coupledom. I did like to see that like I was like, okay, this is cool because it felt progressive at the time. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I do wish that they did show a little bit more of like how they fell in love or why they like each other or like yeah. why they're a good match. Um, I do kind of feel like in saying that there was a little bit of tokenness to their yeah. relationship. Like here's two very pretty people that just happen to be of different races and they came together and then. Yeah. And they could, they could have ended the story like totally differently too, where they could have ended the story where Peter finds out about this and like puts the hammer down and like Mark doesn't succeed. Cause there are stories in this movie where people don't succeed. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Mm-hmm. like, why not this one? Why not be like, Oh, maybe you shouldn't stalk people with some weird signs. <laughs> right. <laughs> I do. I, from like a perspective being someone who, who has often been on the the end of unrequited love. I do kind of understand the idea of like, just getting it out of your system, mm-hmm. you know, like just like the confession, like I just need to tell you this and I'm sorry. This is just how I feel. I know it's executed in a super creepy way, but at the same time I was kind of like, well, I feel like I've been there um, where you just felt like you needed to tell someone and sh- and then to just let it go, you know, like, okay, right. I just need to tell you this because it's going to be awkward if I don't, because obviously yeah. something's up with how I'm acting around you. I agree with you on that. The one thing yeah. where I think it crosses the line is it's like he's expecting her to keep a secret from Peter, which is like really not cool. Like, like she already tri- is, but she already is, right? What? Well, I, maybe, but like by coming out in front of your door, like it's, it's like she's he's wanting to make her an accomplice in the secret with him. And you know what? It tell him it's carolers. It's like she's t- he's directly telling her to lie to her husband, and like that's where it's to me. It's not cool. Like I would totally, I'm I'm totally okay with like confessing your feelings, but like I don't think you should expect it to remain a secret per se. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't think you should like try to like put a wedge mm-hmm. there that's mm-hmm. all yeah or do it before they're married really <laughs> that that's what i'm saying because i'm <laughs> i'm perfectly fine with her like him being like hey i don't want you to tell my best friend because it could make us not best friends anymore because i'm gonna get over this and then this will be a no this will be no thing but yeah. you do it before you're married because once you're married like that's now you're like a couple and this is the thing you try not to lie to your your spouse yeah i do no, i so i yeah i agree with both of you but, as but i hear watching- what you're saying Serena, and thank you for that perspective of what of, of being like, hey, I've been there where like, oh, I just yeah. need to get this off my chest. Because yeah, there are some times where you just like, once it's out, it's no longer as like great of a weight on you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? It's like out and therefore it's not, mm, it's not like this poison inside you. Yeah, there's a part of me that felt uh, more sorry for him than like creeped out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 He's still she shouldn't have kissed him. She shouldn't have kissed she him. She should not have kissed Maybe a hug. Like I would have been okay if she hugged him. Like yeah, she just gave him a big hug and was like, you know, you're going to get over. It. And she, if she had said, you're going to get over this. Yeah. You know, it yeah. would even better better. She's like, I totally fart and just walked away. <laughs> and that I would have been like, this is amazing. But that would have been a, a chick writing this and not a dude. Yeah. 
I don't That's know if true. I would have written I totally fart, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can see the hug thing. Like if she just hugged him, like I'm so sorry that I was oblivious to this fact and this And is, that like, you've had to live you. with this. You've had yeah. to live with this, this stuff. All right. Well, are we ready to move on to number eight? We are. So um this is the Sarah slash Carl love story if you will um (laughs) (laughs) i ranked it a a really high which is low four and i ranked it eight and i ranked it nine it is my wow we'll find out why later you get to introduce what your opinion is first serena okay okay so it's starring laura linney as sarah she's an office worker you've seen her in kinsey ozark you can count on me and multiple things she's very familiar rodrigo santoro as carl sarah's office crush he's in westworld 300 and he plays paulo on lost and michael fitzgerald as michael uh, Sarah's brother. He's in the bookshop, Borgia TV series. And then kind of like as a, a side character, Alan Rickman is Sarah's boss. Uh, we'll talk about him later. So the, the basic premise of this storyline is uh, Sarah's boss brings her into his office and basically just outs her and says, hey, I know that you obviously have this huge crush or are in love with this other guy in our office, Carl, everyone else knows about it. There's this office party coming up. So maybe you should do something about it is basically what ends up happening. They go to the office party. They end up dancing. It's really romantic. And she takes him back to her place. And there's like some pretty cute, um, cute scenes with them. Like, being embarrassed and making out and Carl's extremely attractive. Oh my God, <laughs> like, he's so hot. Like, like he is attractive, like without his clothes on. And then like he takes off his shirt. I'm like, Whoa, I get why you're really into this guy. Um, and then it turns out that Sarah has um, a, I guess, mentally ill brother that she, that's in a, a care facility that she takes care of and is apparently very needy and calls her a lot. There were some scenes leading up to this where she's on the phone with someone who turns out to be her brother and is kind of like talking them down or talking to them, you know, a lot of like baby words like darling and baby and things like that. Um, so during their intimate scene, Sarah and Carl's, her phone is ringing and it's her brother that needs to talk to her right away. And she decides to take the phone call instead of proceeding to with have sex, sex with, yeah. with Carl. And, and then the story ends with basically um, the scenes of, of Sarah with her brother which were a little disturbing. I think at one point he tries to hit her. Um, and then later on, you see Carl and Sarah in the office kind of awkwardly talking to each other like, oh, good night, good night. And obviously they never hooked up again. So that's the story. Yeah. So so Sybil and I ranked it pretty low. So why did you rank it as high as you did? Serena? <sighs> um, I think, I think Sybil kind of said it earlier about how this is like different types of love. And, and I know that like, obviously Sarah's like love for her brother. She's got a lot going on with this like mentally um, challenged brother. Um, Yeah. I would say, I would say just, I would say it's probably mental illness. He probably, it looks a little bit like schizophrenia in terms of like the way it's like um, presenting in terms of like schizophrenic people I've known. So that's probably. Yeah. I, I, they never said, but um, obviously he's in some sort of like care facility and 
I don't know. I just, I, I like stories that don't have happy endings. I really do. Cause I, I think that's the reality of most stories or more, most people's lives. Um, and I, I just, I just thought there was like a reality to it. And I liked the melancholy of this. Mm. I, I really did. The, the what if and the, the what could have been. And, you know, and there is this in the, in their sex scene or in their almost sex scene, you know, he says like, does your brother really need you right now? You know, when I have, he, this said, will it he says, will it help? Right. It oh my yeah. Heart, that's she's like, probably not. Yes. Um, and I don't know. I just thought that like, well, maybe this isn't the guy that you should be with that would understand your situation. I don't know. But maybe he like, understands her situation just fine. And he knows that she like, she's allowing her brother to enable her, mm. her like stoppage of her life. Mm. Mm. Fair enough. So Fair I mean, enough. But who knows? It's, it could go either way. Yeah. But that's what I like about it. Cause people yeah. do that kind of shit. And they like, do absolutely this is i mean what, <laughs> just because i rank it as an eight doesn't mean i don't like it it just like it breaks my heart and like yeah com i'm just like it yeah. breaks my heart too much i have trouble watching this one yeah so Fair. yeah this is this is one of the ones i would take out of the movie if i removed a plot line <laughs> i would take this one out and i would take another one out we'll talk about later like for me it's like it's not that i don't do sad or realist or realistic it's just that like well there's a few things like first of all like Laura Linney, I think she's a great actress, but I usually don't like her performances. I don't know why. Mm. I like the movie Kinsey a lot, and I think that's my favorite thing I've seen her in. But like, I just there's something about Laura Linney like grates on me, and I don't know why. And then Carl, like, I have no idea why she likes him. You don't see them talking together, like, or flirting or having fun at the office. You just know that she supposedly likes him for two years. And I'm like, two years, and neither one of you has done anything about this. I'm just kind been of there. like, been there. I'm that person. <laughs> okay, I'm not that, but I would have done something. <laughs> I would have done something like, like two weeks. I'm serious. Like, two. We're all I can different. Put a, We're all different, Jen. But We're like, Carl different. hasn't either. And then they're both just like, kind of just sitting there, not doing well, anything. They, Shy. Carl seems but, shy. Okay, but, but then also the movie doesn't show any reason to like Carl except that he's hot. Like the movie doesn't give you like just Good like it does for me with the women. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I do believe Alan Rickman says why there she's she's into him because he's talented and hot and smart. Yeah, but show don't tell. Show don't tell. Like that's what I'm saying. The movie didn't do it for me. The movie did well, not like I understand like, that for sure. But I also feel that there's very little time with these storylines, which is one of the pro- problems. I think there's there's too many storylines. There's just yeah, too but many. The other storylines I felt like conveyed more with the time they had. That's what I'm saying. And then okay, and then I'm not finished though. It's <laughs> like like I also found it absurd that like he like the first time they actually dance together, have any interaction, then they immediately go back to her house and they're going to have sex like right now without talking about anything. Like nope. I'm just like what? And then like because like two phone calls come in, you're going to like just leave and never come back. It was just like a whole mess, I thought. Like like it just it, it proceeded at this like at first for the two years, just unrealistically slow. And then on that one night, unrealistically fast. And then like, it's over before it begins. And I'm just like, what is this story? That's all. That's my thesis. I don't care about Carl. Laura Linney's fighting against my natural aversion to her. (laughs) And, and I just, to me, it wasn't realistic because it's just like, either these people move slow or they move fast, but they're trying to do both at once. I a hundred percent know these people. I know the people who are turtles and then when they finally like come together, 
It's so quick because it's like it's totally me. That's totally yes, me. One hundred. I know these people. The, pa- the passion has built up so yes. much for so long burn. that it's just like it's like an explosion and then it burns out. So yeah, the slow times. burn. The slow yeah. burn, girl. I know the slow and burn. I know these people for real. And then you immediately check out, like as soon well, as like. In this case, it wasn't. It it didn't live up to the expectation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, which know. things won't when you like when well, it depends. You, Everybody's you different. Sometimes it could have. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I think I with Laura Linda's character, she in her mind, like this was never actually going to happen, and she actually liked like the fantasy of it more. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the story that that happens for me, and that's what makes that's what breaks my heart in this particular one is because mm-hmm. she liked the fantasy of it, and as soon as the fantasy is taken away. It, it, it dies. It dies on the vine for her. The, the idea, it's like when you plan a vacation, the planning of it is often sometimes better than the real thing. The enjoyment of that, the savoriness yeah. of that. It's like she's edging. She's edging, man. <laughs> she's edging her relationship here. She's edging her crush. Yep. So would you guys pick up the phone the second time or would you let it ring? I, I mean, I'm definitely not Laura Linney. That's for sure. I would have like told Carl, like, hey, Carl, I think you're hot. Let's bang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you? But would you have picked up the phone, Serena? I don't know. I don't have siblings, so yeah. I don't. I have no idea what that relationship is like. Yeah. So I, I'm I think, not sure. I think in a relation, it must be a very hard relationship, like because you want to. And I, the th- scenes I did appreciate more this time were the ones where she's with her brother, like where she's giving care to her brother, even though he can't really understand the extent mm-hmm. to which she's doing that. Like those touched me this time. Um, but like, I think you have to set some kind of boundaries when you're in a relationship with someone who needs so much. Like you have to like have times when you have, you know, you time or you're not mm-hmm. going to be healthy and you're not going to be able to be a long-term to support to someone that's or have her. She's written and therefore yeah. that's not what she got to do. And that's yeah. the point of this. Not There are a lot of people that just aren't that like that. They don't have those yeah. boundaries. They don't understand. That's not who they are. And that's, like I said, that's why this particular story breaks my effing heart because I actually know I, like I know Laura Linney's. Like I know okay. them. I know these characters. I know right. this Sarah. All right. Well, you guys have given me things to think about. I'm still putting it like near the end of my my rankings, <laughs> but still, you've given me things to think about. Actually, I might move it to eight in my rankings after this. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why it sits in eight for me. And and I wouldn't take it out of the film because I do feel that love actually one of the nice things about it is that it has these like darker, sadder stories, but they're not the ones that like when you watch it over and over again, that like, I'm just like, mm, I love watching this section because they do make yeah. me sad. They do. But they, if they were gone, the movie wouldn't be as rich. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So anybody else want more, say more about this one? No, we're good. Okay. okay. So that brings us to number seven, which I've entitled Colin Firth goes to Portugal, but where I think he actually goes to France. It's very confusing. So <laughs> Colin Firth goes to France and meets a Portuguese woman, we'll call it. And mm-hmm. I ranked that one six. I ranked it eight. And I'm a four. So I'm the one who's right in the middle on this one. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, this one actually moved up in the rankings for me from before. So this one features Colin Firth as Jamie, a writer. Everybody knows him, of course, from playing Mr. Darcy, both in 1995's Pride and Prejudice and in Bridget Jones's Diary. And he won an Oscar for The King's Speech. And then there's Lucia Moniz as Aurelia, a Portuguese housekeeper slash waitress who he meets on his vacation. And she hasn't done anything like that's super well known in the U.S., but she's a Portuguese singer and actress. So, yeah. 
And the basic story is, so Jamie, we, at the beginning of the movie, we see Jamie leave his sick girlfriend at home to go to the wedding that we've already talked about of Peter and Juliet. And when he returns early from the wedding to see if his girlfriend wants to come to the reception, he finds out that his girlfriend is having an affair with his brother. And it is just his girlfriend, right? Not his wife, I think. I, I always thought it was his wife. Oh, I don't know. Not well, sure. What is his other? wife? Well, in any case, they're living together and they're in a serious relationship. And his brother has been sleeping with her. So yay for that. <laughs> and Jamie then goes alone on a holiday to France where he meets Aurelia, who is a Portuguese housekeeper. And neither of them share a common language with each other. And Jamie is shown to be just like comically bad at speaking any language other than English. Like- and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, but nevertheless, Jamie and Aurelia fall in love. And like we, the viewer through subtitles know that they're often saying very similar things to each other, despite not understanding each other at all. And J- then Jamie returns home for Christmas from his trip, but almost immediately changes his mind um, and flies back to either France or Portugal, one or the other, to propose, <laughs> like a Portuguese neighborhood in France, I don't fucking know, to, to propose marriage to Aurelia. And so, like, why I ranked it the way I did, like, I used to, I used to rank this one lower. So, because I used to find the idea of people falling in love who just don't share any language, I found it, like, very imp- improbable, and I thought it was kind of like a male fantasy. Like, oh, here's my sexy housekeeper I don't speak any language with. Isn't this hot? And... I, I didn't like, I noticed this the first time I watched it, how you notice Colin Firth has fallen in love with her when they show her jumping into the water to re- rescue his papers. And it's not because she jumps in the water and she's so awesome to rescue his writing. It's because they show close-ups of her body. And I'm mm. like, yeah, typical. Like, it's because she's hot. Okay. And I think I ranked it higher this time, though, because I dislike the Kira Knightley love triangle plot more over the years. So it kind of, they changed places. And also, I think Colin Firth and Lucia Moniz, they have some good chemistry. So, and they seem like the characters seem like good people. So I'm like, all right, fine. I, it changed a little bit. So that's how I feel about this one. <laughs> how do you guys feel about this plot? Um, I really, so I really like this plot, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, Colin Firth is just awesome. And, <laughs> I mean, that one he he sells this plot a lot. It's it's a funny plot. I also really love that like there's a scene where they're driving in the car and he's like, you know, driving her home um, at the end of her day. And they, they don't speak, but they like look at each other. And those looks have always, I've always enjoyed that. The idea that you can't, you don't have to say words to each other, but you're, you can have a language beyond, you know, words and still know what the person is saying. Hmm. Um, If you've ever had that with somebody, it's pretty magical. And I have. And yes, I've always, you know, the thing where she jumps into the lake and she's rescuing his papers and he, you know, they're on her tattoo and her, her body or whatever, but this is from a male's point of view. And guess what? That's what he would do. He'd be like, look at that chick. She's pretty hot. And then he's like, oh, but now I'm, I'm not here and I'm not getting into the lake either. I'm super shamed right now. And Hmm. I always appreciated that as well, that he felt super shame that she's getting into the lake and he is not. Which, of course, is also a Pride and Prejudice, you know, reference that he's not jumping into this pond. But then he does, doesn't he? He does jump in. Yes, he does. But like it took it it takes him only because she is. Yeah. Only because she is. So there's there's a lot of subtext and stuff that I really appreciate about this. One of the things I hate about this plot, though, is once again, we have a lot of like food shame, fat shaming. And it, Mm. as I've aged, it actually makes me angry. Like, especially her sister when he goes to like, even, even to him, even to him, she's like, you shouldn't eat that. You're going to get fat. 
And he's like, oh, I have such a fat, fast metabolism. I can eat all of these croissants. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's just, there's so much fat shaming in this movie. Yeah, it yeah there really weird. is. Apparently, yeah. you know, Curtis what's has up, Rich- problems yeah. with weight. Yeah, what's up, Richard Curtis? What's going on there? I don't understand it. Email us at every feedback at every romcom.com. <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear from you. Tell us. <laughs> and Serena, how about you? You have it pretty um, low, yes. I mean, it's not it's not that I dislike this. Um it is pretty funny and Colin Firth is super sweet in this, but yeah, I just think that it's kind of been done, you know, like falling in love with your your foreign sexy housekeeper. I don't know. It just didn't really like stir anything for me. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was cute. I thought the language stuff was kind of cute. You know how they are kind of saying the same things. And yeah. I, I just kind of kept on thinking, I'm like, well, how are what, what's going to happen? Like, and how they kind of <laughs> made like, marry this Englishman, like you can go to England, because it kind of, it kind of showed their disparity, I guess, in like, she's a waitress and a housekeeper. And he's like this English writer that could obviously yeah. just get on a flight and like fly there. So I just yeah. felt like there was some inequality there mm-hmm. that kind of made me a little uncomfortable yeah, yeah. And, and one thing i noticed this time is like if it had not been colin firth and imagine this was like an american story okay exactly this would, this would be the dude who goes to mexico and he speaks spanish in that really ridiculous way that some americans think is cute exactly like yeah. like, <laughs> like i can't what it's like, I just got the image that this is Polly shore instead of <laughs> like seriously instead this is imagine that instead of colin firth we have Polly shore doing this role no, not even Polly Shore. Even Bradley Cooper doing this American in Mexico okay. who can't speak any fucking Spanish. Like, how pathetic would that be? Like, muchas gracias, senorita. Yeah. Can, can, you, like, so like, can <laughs> you like it? So put another actor, even though I'm telling you Polly Shore is amazing. Put, <laughs> But I'm not attracted to Polly Shore. Like, Bradley Cooper I could be attracted to, like, at least. But then I'd be like, wait a second. You can't speak any Spanish? What is your problem? Like, like and you're trying to marry this girl? I don't know. Like... But I also have never found that Aurelia is particularly sexy. Like they don't dress her sexy. You know, she's just a chick that he notices her body for sure. But because she's not particularly like super attractive. She's not a hot blonde. She doesn't like make herself sexy. I think she's sexy. I think she's sexy immediately. But yeah. Also, isn't he like coming from like this major rebound? You know, (laughs) this relationship is not bound to last. Yeah. And like, so he just broke up with his girlfriend and and he's proposing marriage. Like, whoa. Well, Red Nose Day actually actually says that they will persist. So if you want to find out what their version of what happens is. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. Somehow they, they're going to have a lot of discovering to do though. um, When they hit the real world, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Cause some of them speak and she'll be like, no, I am fully, I, I fully like things that you don't like and we'll have to make, make it through that. Yeah. Any more, any more comments about this section? Yeah. Okay, right, so move to six. moving on. Yep, moving on. All right, and at number six, we have the stand-ins. I rank this at six. I also ranked it as six. And I ranked it as five. <laughs> so Very, we're... very close. This is very <laughs> yeah. close. Um, so this is starring Martin Freeman, who you might know from The Hobbit. Uh, he's the only white guy in the Black Panther, apparently. <laughs> yep. Jennifer has added that for no, me. He's, no, he's famous for that. <laughs> like, he's well known for being the only, like, white speaking character or major role in Black Panther. So. <laughs> I did not notice that. <laughs> and then we have Joanna Page, who is um, well known as a British television, television actress. But you won't see her in that many movies. She's in a couple, but not many. 
So in my humble opinion, this is the strangest romance in this batch of stories. So these two are stand-ins. And if you don't know what a stand-in is, somebody who's supposed to stand in for like a bigger movie star and, you know, be that body person so that this, the star doesn't have to be there. And so these two have met and they're both very shy and, you know, unassuming, but they're, they're doing their jobs. And they're apparently on some kind of set where they have to be naked. I don't know what movie they're filming that also that they also have to be naked that has a budget for them and they're there all the time. But (laughs) in real life, this doesn't actually happen. So they're here. They're super sweet and unassuming. And they kind of like, while, you know, doing like strange things, like having their nipples lit and pretending to have sex and oral sex and whatever, they start to kind of flirt and fall in love, but in a kind of a sweet way, like they, you know, and finally ask each other, you know, one of them asks each other on a date. And I actually can't remember which one. I think he asks her. her. But I'm yeah, not sure. I think she kind yes, of like sir. prompts him a little bit. Okay. I don't remember well enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think she prompts no, him I don't a little bit. He, uh, does she? I don't think she does. I think he just kind of like asks her. Gotcha. Yeah. So I watched this like two weeks ago and then I've already forgotten again. Because <laughs> like I said, I saw it's a lot fresh. of I just watched it last night. Yeah. yeah awesome. Um, And like I... I love, I do really love this one, but it is, it is a little strange. It is a little strange. Me, I ranked it in the middle because like, I think that they seem like nice people and like, I find their story actually more believable than some of the others, as opposed to you. Like, I think like the way they fall in love, actually chatting with each other, getting to know each other is like more relatable to me than like something like Sarah and Carl, where I don't see those interactions, you know, like Mm -hmm. I see these two Mm -hmm. kind of slowly getting to know each other. And I, I like that part of a movie. You know, I don't want someone to tell me these two have known each other for two years. I want to see them get to know each other for two days. And that's more rewarding to me. Mm. And I and I like the contrast between the the sex, the, the simulated sex and then their sweetness and shyness. I thought that was really nice. Um, yeah, the contrast to that is nice. But I do. I, it was a little like I don't think the best time to ask somebody out, though, is when you're simulating sex acts. <laughs> Like, it, I know they did it for the humor, for the comedy value, right? But like, uh, you know, like by today's standards, it might have been better if he'd like, they waited until they were both fully dressed to ask her if she wanted to get a cup of tea or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. right. <laughs> like, like maybe wait till you're like standing over at like the craft services or something, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. It was that, that. Also, everything about this section is always kind of weird to me. Also, if you know anything about film and how this really works, none of this is real or accurate. Hmm. Yeah. Like, like what part specifically? Like all of it. So first of all, you're not going to have a stand-in who's going to be like doing any of this. You're not lighting somebody's nipple. That's not how it's going to happen. You're not going to actually have them moving. There's no need. You you, you could have a body double there. You're yeah. probably not even going to have them naked because you don't really care. You would have a body double that you probably don't need them naked. If they're doing full porn, maybe, but then who do you have that's like, why do you have, if you're doing porn, yeah. You, yeah. you don't need body doubles because you don't have the budget for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you actually are using body doubles, then you'd have the real body doubles there who are actually mm-hmm. just doing the job. Mm-hmm. You know, oh. that that's, you'd have actually a stand-in body double and they're clearly not body doubles for any famous people. Cause look at them. Well, he said he did. He said he was Brad Pitt's del- body double in seven years. Yeah, not like a real body double. Like he was just a stand-in. Yeah. <laughs> he, so Serena- maybe a hand double or something. I don't know. But like, <laughs> like everything about that, I was like, uh, Okay. Serena, did you have any thoughts about this one, like beyond what you've said? No, I mean, I agree with you guys. It's just kind of like in the middle, like it's a sweet little story and they're cute. That's it. 
<laughs> and they sell it. They're very sweet together. They sell yeah. it. They yeah. sell it. All right. Isn't she the one that says, like, all I want for Christmas is you? Is you. Yeah. Mm. yeah which i would never say and then if i did say that that would mean you should come in not you should like leave after we just kissed you know what i but mean that's what makes them sweet that's what makes them sweet i know but it seems like such a come on and like after they kiss so then he just goes and i'm like wait a but second they're here. sweet they but- just like almost you know they like simulated banging they're gonna move really slow they're gonna wait yeah. like a month before they even like have sex easily yeah very wise but, Je- but Jen, Carl's didn't you say but didn't you say earlier you didn't understand how Sarah and Carl could go back to their house right away? No, no, or no. Go yeah. back to her but, house? But that's, but that's because, but that is because with Sarah and Carl, the film, like they told me that those two had known each other for two years, but they did not show me that those two had known each other for two years. Whereas this, like I see, like, even though these people have only known each other for a few days, I see them talking. I see them interacting. Sarah and Carl, it's like they had like one dance and oh my God, just, I need to rewind really back quick to Sarah and Carl. Those two songs that they danced to were like the most awkward songs. <laughs> Like ever, okay. I forgot to mention that it was like, like "Senorita" or something by like Justin Timberlake, and what was the other one? It was just some what really slow song. They cut abruptly in the middle of the fast song to this like super slow, sappy song that we would have in somebody's fucking wedding as their wedding song or something. I'm like, what but the wait, fuck? Is don't this? they also? I, I do believe, if I remember correctly, it's it's the exact same worst DJ. DJ ever. Oh, okay. I do believe it's yeah. the worst DJ ever. I think it's the same one. People from the from the yes. okay. From the wedding. Nice. From the wedding. Yeah. Nice. I believe if you pay attention closely, it is the worst DJ ever. And that's the well, point. I think that's the if, point. If that's the case, well played. Well played. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm just saying that, like, I, I just, I'm, it's not that I expect them to go back and have sex right away. It's just that all I want for Christmas is you. Just seems like you're asking somebody to have sex with you. I don't know. That's all. That's all. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> Okay, and now we're at number five, which is we're technically off. We're technically tied for fifth. Yeah, with the Liam. Oh, a lot of fives going kid. on here. Very powerful yeah. numbers. Okay, so this is the singer manager. So I ranked this at two. I ranked it nine, and I ranked it four. Okay, so this is starring Bill Nighy, um, which you might know from Emma and About Time. And he is an aging rock star playing Billy Mack, not to be confused by Bill Nye. But I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Curtis actually wanted him. So that might be why. And Wait, then, what? what? Yeah, so Kurt, uh, Richard Curtis actually wanted Bill Nye for this role. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he wanted Bill Nye for this role. So it might have been like in his mind, he's like, I named it Billy Mack because I wanted Bill, you know, Bill Nye. So in my mind, they're always exactly the same person. And uh, then we have Greg uh, Gregor Fisher, who's in lots of British TV um, but you probably have never seen him on anything else. And he plays his manager, Joe. And he is the most like schlumpy manager I've ever seen. Would we all agree on this? I just don't know what rock and roll managers look like. So it doesn't, it didn't occur to me. I would yeah, never have assumed that like your uh, any kind of rock and roll manager would look like this guy. Like he just sits on a couch and like drinks beer. Like that's well, maybe maybe it's because they came up together though, like in the seventies or something. You know what I mean? And maybe in the seventies they were both hot shit and like yeah, they're like they're both kind of washed up. Yeah, I mean, they definitely are washed up, and that's the point. So let's talk about the story. So this is a buddy love story. And so f- he is a – Bill uh, Bill Mackey, uh, Bill Mack is a washed-up rocker who's just trying to like, get a little bit of fame back. And Joe, his manager, wants to desperately give that to him. And so he has come up with this idea that they're going to do a terrible Christmas version of Love is All Around Us, but replacing – 
love with Christmas <laughs> and doing some other horrible switches. And it's obvious that, you know, that Billy Mac hates this. He's not even pretending that he thinks it's a good idea. He tells everybody it's a bad idea, but he's doing it anyways. And he's going out and that's what, that's what this is about. Yeah. That's what, but it's a, it's a, but it's a buddy love story. And, you know, they come to the end and they're kind of like, I'd rather spend Christmas with you than like with any, you know, tarts or whatever. And why, and it's ranked really high for you. So like number I, two. First of all, I think that uh, Bill Nye is just absolutely fantastic in this role. Like every time he comes on, he just lights up the screen for me. I like, I laugh every time. And this entire segment is so fun. Um, also, I love the idea that two dudes would realize at some point, especially like dudes in their like what 60s and 70s or something would realize that they kind of like are each other's person. And maybe they don't like, they're not like the sex each other's person, but they're each other's person because they've been with each other so long that yeah. that's their love story. And it was always very so like meaningful to me. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and Serena, you ranked it last. I did. I did. I mean, again, it's not that I disliked it. I mean, I, I thought this this part was really funny. And in rewatching it, I feel like I appreciated it way more than I did the first time um, or the first few times that I've watched this. And they are really funny scenes. And Bill Nye is really great. But I, I don't know. It's just when you when you're forced to rank them, it just kind of ended up a little like lower for me because there wasn't I don't know. I'm not like a, a 50 year old guy rocker guy you you're know? being so generous little, with the 50 probably i want to say in the movie he referred to himself as like in his but 50s. he's lying oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> um so it just it was a little hard for me to like relate like i thought it was a cute story but it wasn't it wasn't like touching to me personally that's all i still but like kids it. don't do drugs buy them <laughs> become rockers so you can you can you know people just give them to you <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. No, he definitely has like the funniest lines and segments in the movie. Well, the ones that are like the most obviously funny. I actually have a different vote for my funniest thing that I'll tell later. But like um in general, he's the f- comic relief in this movie. He that story. Um I what I liked about it, I appreciated that he's being so honest and like telling the truth about how his song sucks and like I like that he's swearing all the time. I like the addicted to love homage video. Yes. Although so it's good. like really an excuse to show more <laughs> hot chicks like doing sexually erotic things. I mean, yeah. Um, I, I guess it, it, it used to be ranked higher for me. I guess I ranked it lower now because like it is a very dude story in the middle of a dude movie for me. And I'm just like, I wanted to rank higher some of the things that I thought like gave women more of a chance to do something, I guess. I don't know. That's the kind of story that appeals to me more now as I get older. Yeah. So, but yeah, but it's very funny for sure. Um, yeah, that's about it for me, I think. Mm-hmm. Sybil, you want to say more in praise of it? No, I or mean, I, I think I've said all that I have to say. I mean, I really, I, it's one of my favorite storylines. And I, I, it takes up a lot of the, if you look at it, it actually takes up a lot of the film. So clearly yeah. it was, you know, a, a well-loved storyline. Mm-hmm. I do like how the other stories get tied into it, you know, like the mm-hmm. kid, like watching it on TV, like yeah. how everyone's tied into that story. I did like how they did that. Yeah, it's it's definitely an anchor story. Mm-hmm. And I also like how they make fun of how inserting extra syllables, like, so if yes. you really love Christmas, come on Christmas. and let it snow. Because <laughs> 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 this is the kind of shit that people will do. And I, I think I read in one review, somebody was saying that like this song, like taking advantage of making money for Christmas, 
to them, that's what Love Actually was doing as a movie. I don't think that's what Richard <laughs> Curtis set out to do, Ooh, but it, but it is interesting to think of it that I way. I mean, this this is this is a thing. Okay. <laughs> okay, so uh, coming at number four, which is technically tied for fifth place, is uh, the story of Liam Neeson and his kid, which is his stepson. I ranked it at a two, and I have it as a five. And for me, I have it at eight. So it was my second least favorite. And this is the other one that I would be as happy if it weren't in the movie. <laughs> Sorry. Shut your mouth. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's starring Liam Neeson. Everyone knows Liam Neeson. He plays Daniel, you know, um, Liam Neeson from Schindler's List, Taken, Kinsey, Star Wars, on and on. So many um, yeah, it also stars Thomas Brody Sangster as Sam. Um, you've seen him as Jojen Reed in Game of Thrones. He's in The Queen's Gambit and the Maze Runner movies. Uh, we also have Olivia Olsen plays Joanna or the young Joanna. Um, she's a voice actress. She's done Adventure Time and Phineas and Ferb. And she did her own singing in the movie, which I didn't know that beforehand. And then it also has Claudia Schiffer, which plays Carol sort of playing herself um a mom who is supposed to look exactly like claudia schiffer how ironic yeah yep. <laughs> so the- <laughs> that lost points for me right there that's one of the things oh. that made this like a lower rank because i'm just like seriously <laughs> like what could be more of a male fantasy than that hey man men have fantasies yeah well, they certainly do. Um, so the basic story of this is liam neeson's character daniel um his wife has just died and it's um and has left him with his stepson sam and daniel's concerned about sam because obviously his mother just died and sam's uh 11 in the story and he's locking himself in his room and daniel can't figure it out and usually the mom is the one that would be the emotional support for sam so finally uh daniel gets it out of sam and I do find these these scenes really sweet. Um, what his issue is, and Sam confesses that he is in fact in love with um, with a classmate of his, and then it just kind of goes in about uh, Liam and Sam bonding over how how Sam's going to like get the girl. So we find out that she's a, a singer and she's going to be in the school Christmas show. So they um concoct this plan that sam learns to play the drums and then at the end of the story like the final climax there's a big christmas show sam's playing the drums but then he never gets to actually say how he feels um to joanna and then she's on her way to the airport and there's this really extended scene of sam like running through the airport which is very far-fetched um (laughs) like running through security and you know getting getting to joanna right before she boards and i I guess it's a very rom-com it's very rom-com it's very rom-com yes um you know the the security guards are chasing him and everything and he finally sees joanna and you don't really see what he says to her, but then at the end, like she then comes out off of the airplane, I guess. I don't know. And then like gives Sam a kiss on the cheek. And then uh, my favorite scene of this movie is actually the scene where Sam runs into Liam Neeson's arms. I don't know. I just love that scene. It gets me every time at the end where he like has his arms out and he's like flying. Cause he's so ecstatic. I don't know why. I just love that. Aww, scene. That's sweet. 
I do. I I really like this story. And for, for some reason, when I think of Love Actually, I think of this storyline mm-hmm. um, is the one that comes to mind most, as opposed to like the Kira Knightley like dropping of cards okay. thing. Okay. Um, I don't know. I really again because this is one of those stories that shows love in a different context, and I also really like that it's his stepson and not his actual son because yeah. I feel like there's a like there's a little bit of um extraness about it you know because it's like daniel knows he's like i'm not really his dad and i'm trying to like you know create this relationship and i guess it's assumed that daniel now has custody of sam right like who knows where sam's actual father is they don't really seem to talk about him um I don't know. I just like it. I, it feel, it's very male bonding to me. It feels I, I really love seeing fathers or like a father figure. Uh, and maybe that touches me because like I never had one. So like I, I mm. like I'm like, oh, wow, a real dad, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, I really I do really like this story. Well, you've made a very convincing argument. You've made me dislike it less. So congratulations. <laughs> I have to agree. And I, mine was pretty high. I also, I agree with you, Serena, that when I think of Love Actually, this is one of the storylines that feel that is like very strong for me of like, this is a Love Actually movie. Because yeah. also it has the Mariah Carey song, which is like the anthem mm-hmm. for this mm-hmm. for this movie, right? When we l- listen to that Mariah Carey song, don't mm-hmm. tell me you don't think of Love Actually because you will. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And I... Yeah. And the little girl sings so well. Yeah, so mm-hmm. beautifully. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, also Liam Neeson, I mean, listen, he takes over the screen so many times. He is incredible. And so yes. a lot of people don't realize that the first time you see him on screen when he's like having that breakdown and that's the first that's the first thing he filmed for this oh, film. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And I he do talks have a question. about it. I do have a question about like the, the who is Emma Thompson to him? So His like sister. in. I thought they were just friends. No, she's sisters with the I prime minister. His sister, like no, I no, thought no. it was like Hugh Grant's no, no. sister. How- yeah, she's the prime minister's sister. She's not Liam Neeson. They're just friends. I saw a chart on Wikipedia. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, I always thought that he thank was you. like she was like the sister also of like his like his sister in law or something from the chick who died. I don't know. I could see that. Like I thought maybe there was some connection there, but I was just like, uh, wait, who is she? I, I mean, she could just be a friend, like which is totally yeah. valid. But they never, they just never really. Because you know, there's kind of the opening scene where he's like on the on the phone with her. He's like, "I really I'm sure need to talk to you." It's on the cutting room floor somewhere. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm down with their relationship. Like everyone needs friends, so I was like, yeah. I was just kind of like, "Huh?" They just never really explained that, but that's cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and the, oh, at the very end of this storyline, yeah, the Claudia Schiffer. There's like this joke he makes, um, like at his wife's funeral, which is like really kind of hard to watch because it's like, I guess that's how a funeral for your you know dead wife would go if she died kind of i guess it was she knew she was dying and planned her own funeral yeah Yeah. and that and that something about he could only bring claudia schiffer or like she would only i don't know how did he phrase it something about like claudia schiffer was like the only woman that um he could then go on to marry besides her right something like that was that the joke and then, and then at the, the end of the movie, um, he meets another school mom, a school mom that is Claudia Schiffer, not yeah. Claudia Schiffer, yeah, which apparently yeah. Jennifer hated. I can't. Okay, cause, okay, because okay, the, the one the reference to it that I hated most though was like when he's like, when I meet Claudia Schiffer, we're gonna have sex in all the rooms, and he said this to like an eleven uh, year old kid, and it's so what that was a little weird. That was yeah. a little weird. 
Yeah, and I appreciate some things about the father-son relationship. Like, I like that they watch Titanic together. That's kind of cute. <laughs> and yeah. it also dates it a little bit, but hey. But, um, but okay, the, my main problems with the storyline, though, are like, again, this is another situation where there's a guy who likes a girl that he's never talked to before. Like, literally never talked to before is what he's he says. also 11 years old. I like, know, but it's like that. But this is echoed in other like, storylines so, in this like, movie. sorry, he's not like a, no, no, a lady but, killer at 11. But, but, you know? but the story chose to tell it this way is what I'm saying. Like, the story, like, the movie has told a bunch of stories where people know very little about somebody that they're supposedly in love with. Like, the same thing happens in the Kira Knightley story. Supposedly, he acts like he hates Kira Knightley's character, right? He So he never talks to her. Like, um... The, the pe- people who can't understand each other, Colin Firth and Aurelia. And it's just, it's another echo of this. And I'm just like, oh, and, and, and Liam Neeson's ideas for him to impress her are not like, oh, why don't you just say hi? It's like, oh, why don't you learn to play the drums in like two weeks? And then she's going to fall in love with you. Or why don't you chase her through an airport when she has never talked to you before? It's just like, it just seems so, mm, I know I'm being a Grinch here, but it just seems so like stupid to me. Like, and like, it's Isn't like, that if, to me, it feels like a window into the male psyche. Yes, like, I'm, that's exactly I'm like, correct. I'm like, like oh, this, this is how is, every this dude how thinks. My, yeah, this is how this they is not, think. This, I guarantee you, this is not how my husband thinks because he says the same thing about this movie. <laughs> like, unicorn. <laughs> yeah, I no, I, 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 this is how most men think. <laughs> Write us yeah. in and tell us if you think this way. <laughs> <laughs> What are you saying about how they think though? Like what in specific, like of my critique? Where it's about, it's about action and not, and not like talking it out. Like, Hey, I like you. It's, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to play the drums or I'm going to learn your language, you know, instead of just telling you, I guess the learning language thing is a little different, but uh, yes, Serena, you're hundred percent correct. Instead of, instead of just being like open about it and in a sort of like roundabout way, which I do think that's kind of how men kind of get a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't relate to it that way. I guess I don't relate to men like that. So yeah. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, like that's like, that's my Grinchy, my Grinchy problem with it. And then like, yeah, I don't know. I, I also, yeah, I have nothing else to say. I have no, no other. No, say it, say it. it. No, I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't quite put words to it. But just like this oh. story has always rubbed me a little the wrong way. But like what you said about their father son relationship, like did move me a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm readjusting <laughs> my feelings about it a little bit. Thanks to you, Serena. <laughs> Good. <laughs> anybody? Anybody else have more to say on it? No, I, I felt Serena did. You did an excellent job, Serena. Thank you. All right, so I'm going to introduce, and this is going to be really weird now, like after I've said all these things about male fantasy, but bear with me. (laughs) So at number three, saved by Serena and myself, is Colin goes to Wisconsin. Not to be confused with Colin Firth, just the character's name is Colin. And I ranked it two. I ranked it three. And I ranked it seven. So we're going to find out why we did these rankings in a minute here. So Colin is played by somebody named Chris Marshall, who has done some recent work, including the TV shows Death in Paradise and Sanditon. I haven't seen him in either of those, but I know they're quite you know well known. Um, have you seen Sanditon, Sybil? I have. It's very dark and bleak. Okay. And did you recognize him from that? or like? Yes, I did. Okay, cool. And then um, his friend is played. He has a friend named Tony played by Abdul Salis. And he doesn't have a lot of credits, but he's been in other big projects, including Sahara and Flyboys. 
Then in later in the in this story, there are appearances by a bunch of like hot looking young women, and some of them were not very famous. At the, I don't think any of them were. Denise Richards might have been mm-hmm. famous at the time, but most of them were not well known at the time. So Ivana Milosevic, perhaps is the pronunciation, plays Stacy. She's she might know her as the hot neighbor in Just Like Heaven. She was also in the One Hundred and Castlevania, voice acting, and then January Jones shows up as Jeannie. She, of course, is Betty Draper in Mad Men and also in X-Men First Class. Alicia Cuthbert is Carol Ann, and she's in The Girl Next Door in 24. Denise Richards as Carla from Wild Things and Drop Dead Gorgeous. I always put in Drop Dead Gorgeous, not because it's famous, but because you should fucking see Drop Dead Gorgeous. Everyone should watch it. It's a fantastic (laughs) film. Yes. (laughs) And then Shannon Elizabeth as Harriet, and she's from, of course, the foreign exchange student in the American Pie movies. So you have this cavalcade of beautiful women. And they're going to come in a little later because the story is that Colin is this like British kind of caterer, food worker guy, um, caterer, catering assistant. He's not the caterer. He's like a food worker, server kind of guy. And he has no luck with women in England. And his theory is that the reason he has no luck is that British girls are just too stuck up. And like, if he goes to America, he's going to hit the big time. Like, but he's really actually terrible with women. He's always using terrible, cheesy pickup lines and like being inappropriate. But he makes a plan to go to America and he gets a ticket and he ends up going to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. (laughs) The place of my birth. Okay. And uh, he does indeed meet many attractive women almost immediately upon entering an American bar, proving his doubting friend Tony wrong and later brings back some of these attractive women to England with him to Tony's surprise and delight. So, why do I love this so much when I've been complaining about male fantasies? The reason is because in a movie full of like kind of like insidious like male fantasies that you would kind of not notice because you're too busy being like, oh, how cute. Like this takes a male fantasy and satirizes it. It knows that it's ridiculous. It knows that it's being unbelievable. Like the end has got like this ridiculous like foursome or something with Colin. Like where he's implied to be having sex with all these women at once through a silhouette. Mm -hmm. And like, they're just ridiculously attractive. Like you could meet attractive women in a bar, but they wouldn't be all supermodels. And like, it just takes it to the nth degree and shows like how silly this is. But I also love it because this is like just a tale of a guy who just has this big dream and he's not going to let anything, not reason, not anything get in his way of achieving it. And like, I just feel such delight when he's proven right. I don't know why. It's like, you go, Colin, you go to America and you have sex with those women. I'm like, I'm, I'm rooting for him. And then I also like it because like, this is, there's a, some truth to this, like, um, like British people will probably have better luck getting laid in America than they would in the UK. Like foreigners in general, I think sometimes have better luck when they go to other countries. Like in Korea, you saw this all the time, like guys who would be just like really normal or even unattractive guys in the US would get like these ridiculously hot Korean girlfriends because the Korean girlfriends didn't know that this guy was actually kind of a loser in his home culture. <laughs> like this is a thing that 100% happens. Okay. And like, correct. Yeah. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and like, remember <laughs> Serena Martin from the video store? Yes. I called my video. Like people would freaking go to Martin and think that he was like, like super smart and knew everything because he was British. Like correct. they would go to him and like ask him to do their taxes. He told them, <laughs> like, how do I do my taxes? And he's like, you know, like, I don't know better than you do. I'm, I'm, and actually I wasn't even born here. Like, like, <laughs> 
like we impute these qualities to people with British accents that like maybe don't exist. So I thought that was really funny and like, Correct. yeah, how they did this. And just also like, I just want to put in, I'm in support of any plot line that might make more British people come to America searching for girlfriends. Like you're, you're <laughs> welcome. Come to Milwaukee, come to Madison. It's all good. <laughs> So Serena, did you have similar reasons for liking this? I, story? I agree. I mean, the the I remember watching it the first time and just thinking it was so funny um, that he picked Wisconsin because, of course, we're from Wisconsin. Yeah, and like so, th- so there's like a, a relatability there, and it's just it is really funny. And even when they show like, "Take me to your average bar," or whatever he <laughs> says, yeah. and, then, and I'm like, "Yep, that's pretty much what a bar yes. in Milwaukee would probably look like." You yes, know? they got it right. They got the, the, and the house and the lighting the and house, the way it looks, yes, yeah, everything. Yes. It looks like it, Wisconsin. It, it, does i know the girls are are more attractive than you than you would think but i don't know i don't know if that's that much of a stretch like i i do think that the girls for in general that i thought in wisconsin growing up there are pretty cute like overall yeah, i agree um, i agree they were they're not too hot they're just like wholesome looking yeah decent looking girls yeah <laughs> i did hear what i did have a, a um is when at the end when they're at the airport and they go and meet Tony. Why do they have such thick Southern accents? Oh, because two of them are friends visiting from Texas or something. I guess they wanted more. Is that than what she two. said? Did they say yeah, that? Yeah, it's like a throwaway oh. line that this is our friend. Oh, from Texas okay, because I was like, that is not a Wisconsin yeah. accent, and I was like upset about that. Okay, I guess I missed that part. Sorry. Yeah, I don't really understand Never why mind. they brought Southern girls back instead of the Wisconsin girls, though. That was really yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't like, know. It's like what the Wisconsin girls didn't have a passport or something. I don't know. I, I completely agree with everything you said. Of, I think this is pretty right on as far as like <laughs> he's right. Like go, yes, go to Wisconsin, go to like the middle America, nowhere. Like people, women are going to be like, oh, you're so exotic and yeah. you're so like. Even though he is just like this average like yep. British guy, because like I've been there. You know what I mean? Like I, I think the same way. I love an accent, and I yeah. don't. I don't care. I'm like, oh wow, you're so. Yeah. Even the scene, even the scene where they're like making him say things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> straw, like, straw. I was like, Table. I was like, how many times have like you've seen that play out? Like, how do you say this? Like, you call it Autumn. chips. Autumn. Oh my god, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, then, and they're always being like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I was like, wow, that's so true. Yes. And there's Hopefully. just something I love about him proving his friend wrong because his friend's like, you're so full of shit. This isn't going to work. And then he's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I just have to open my mouth and I'm going to get chicks? Yes. yes. That is true. It, that is true. That is true. What I really appreciate about this particular one, though it ranks lower than many of the other ones for me, um, is that it is – first of all, I think that this one's kind of like – it's a little bit frivolous, which yeah. when it like stacked against the other – the kind of the other storylines i was like well it kind of falls like a little lower for me like serena said earlier they're all good but sometimes when you're ranking something has to get lower yeah Uh, yeah. but what i i appreciated about chris marshall's performance is he is he is just kind of disgusting (laughs) like i loved his performance so much though like there's a scene where he's like he's kind of like almost picking his nose and he's kind of gross and you're just looking at him you're like you wonder why you can't get girls you're funny looking you're kind of gross i'm like you probably fart in bed a lot like you're kind of like you're nasty man but he's like i'm gonna go to wisconsin i'm gonna use my accent 
to go get chicks and I look weird, but nobody's going to notice because I'm, I'm British. Right. And that's how it works for him. And it works just fine. Cause he also, he goes to Wisconsin, the, you know, magical ward of Wisconsin. If he went to Los Angeles or New York, it wouldn't have worked out for him. Correct. Yeah, not, no, right. Yes. But, but it was exotic Wisconsin that worked out. He mm-hmm. chose wisely. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he totally did. And so that I can I 100% appreciated when I watched this. But yes, it wasn't realistic in any way. This of all of the scene of like all of the kind of stories I find this one like the least realistic, but it like pokes fun at itself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I find it somewhat realistic though. Like we were talking about I mean, like, yes, he could definitely go and he could find chicks, but I don't know if he'd like have three ways and stuff. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I knew some pretty <sighs> freaky people in Milwaukee. Yeah. yeah. I know so, I know some still. There's some yeah. freaky shit happening in Milwaukee right now, trust me. <laughs> but this I is two thousand three. Two thousand three. In two thousand three also. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not going to name names, but I know people. Right. I don't know <laughs> if I bought that like all three women like slept in one bed. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're that so was poor ridiculous. they sleep in one bed. They're going to invite some stranger home to come sleep with them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that part is unrealistic, but like we, but, like some small things like really showing what Wisconsin actually looks like just did it for me. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe it's agreed. Wisconsin pride. Maybe there's agreed. a little bit of Wisconsin yes. pride. <laughs> it did. It did depict that house. That house. I was like, yes, that is what a house yes. in like Wisconsin looks like. With the lights, yep. everything. Yep. <laughs> I also, like, I was thinking, too, if I ever made, a like, a tarot deck that was film characters, this character is the fool. And, like, <laughs> he's, like, the perfect embodiment of the fool. Like, all the good parts of that and all the bad parts of that put together for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's random, but I thought of it today. Beautiful. All right. I love it. Okay, so coming in at number two, technically tied with one. <laughs> Okay. Um, is the the Emma Thompson and Joni Mitchell and Alan Rickman story. I ranked it one. I have it as three. And I also have it as three. Okay, now I see why it's two. Um, so this <laughs> <laughs> if my math is correct. Um, so this this plot line or the storyline is starring Emma Thompson as Karen. Emma Thompson, you know her from Sense and Sensibility, Much Ado About Nothing, Howard's End, Alan Rickman as Harry. Obviously, Harry Potter, he plays Snape. He's, he was also in Sense and Sensibility, Die Hard, and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And then it also has Heike Makach as Mia, um, She's a German actress who has, she's done a lot of work, but nothing that's very well known internationally since Love, actually. So the the main premise of this story are that Karen and Harry, Ellen Rickman and Emma Thompson, are a married couple, a, a pretty normal married couple with children. And during some getting to know scenes, Karen talks about her love of Joni Mitchell and how, I think she says how it made a cold hearted English woman understand love, I think is what she says. Taught her how to um, feel, not just yeah, love, but ta- yeah, taught her how sorry, to feel. Sorry, taught her how to feel. And then it also shows that at Harry's work, his assistant, or at least someone in his office, because I thought Sarah was his assistant, but I, I have I no guess idea. <laughs> and I couldn't, I also couldn't really under, I'm like, do they work for like UNICEF or something? Like, what I is have no office? idea who they work for. 
<laughs> yeah, they were really clear about what this office does. But anyways, um, they Harry and Mia work in an office together, and Mia is is attractive and younger than Harry. And it, it's pretty obvious that she's coming on to him. She's trying to seduce Harry at the office. And at some point she asks Harry to buy her a Christmas present, like very seductively, um, which he thinks about. And then um, while he's out shopping with Karen, I get, he doesn't he doesn't buy it at that moment and that's when like rowan atkinson and mr bean comes in there's this like pretty funny scene where he's trying to to buy the the necklace <laughs> yeah and there's this really long drawn out scene where he's he doesn't want his wife to see um and then she comes upon him and then he walks away from the counter but then you see later on he does go back and buy the necklace and and karen finds it in his coat pocket and she thinks it's for her um, yeah. she sees this piece of jewelry and she's like, Oh, this is for me. Um, and then later on at the Christmas opening, um, when they're opening some presents, she gets a, a similar sized box that she thinks is going to be the necklace. And it turns out to not be the necklace. And it is actually, um, a Joni Mitchell CD, which was also thoughtful, but she, re- but she realizes that that necklace was for somebody else. Okay. And. Would it actually be thoughtful, though? Because, like, if she's a huge Joni Mitchell fan, how does she not already have it? That's all. I just wanted to put that in. <laughs> Correct. But, I mean, you would think that he would know what she it had. It wasn't a scarf. Have. Let's just say that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't a scarf. Um, so that's when she realizes that he, that necklace was for someone else and that he's having an affair. Earlier, there were some earlier scenes, too, at, like, the office Christmas party where he was dancing with Mia and you could see that, that Karen noticed there was some like chemistry or intimacy between them. And she, she even tells said him to him straight up to watch it. Huh? She tells him straight up to watch him. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. So she, she does notice that. And so she's kind of aware that like maybe something's going on. Anyways, there's this pretty tragic scene um, with like this overlay of a Joni Mitchell song, apparently um, where, she opens up the Joni Mitchell present and then kind of goes into the bedroom, like excuses herself and just breaks down, which is a really tragic scene. Mm-hmm. And then, and then she gets herself back together because they're about to go to this Christmas play. Um, and she gets herself back together and puts on this like happy face and goes out there and, you know, gets the family together and they go to the Christmas play. And then after the Christmas play, she confronts Harry and it's actually one of my favorites. Um, lines in the movie and i'm gonna fuck it up because i i didn't look up and see exactly what it is but she's he says she says to him like what would you do in my situation like you find that your husband has given a necklace to someone else what would you do and then he's like i'm a fool and she's like yes but and you've made the life i lead seem foolish as well yeah and like just the way she says it i don't know i think that is the best line in the movie and she it just shows what a great actress she is and it's so heartbreaking. And I know it's a really sad story and a, a or it can be, um, but I just, I just love it. I just feel like it's very realistic and I know that he feels like shit. And then the end of the story, you don't really know what happens. Um, yeah. They they show a scene where he's coming back from some kind of trip and, you know, he's happy to see his kids. And then there's a little bit of tension between him and, and his wife and you're not really sure if are they together um are they just like pushing through for the family um obviously trust has been broken and they're not they're not they're not doing so well so anyways that's the basic premise 
I I think I really like this plot line because of Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman and like my, my love for them and what great actors they are. And, uh, and this is one of the stories because a lot of the stories are a little over the top, um, you know, like maybe the wedding scene or like the Colin scene where they're a little like fluffy, like unrealistic, but this, this part is so realistic. Like how many, how many times has, you know, a flirtation at work, you know, disrupted a marriage and, you know, there's a doting wife who's getting older and is becoming like insecure and, um, you know, starting to, but is so dedicated to her family. And a lot of times, you know, cause men, men do this, you know, a lot of times, how many times have we seen this, um, in real life and with, you know, our, my own like family members, like women in my family where men just stray, you know, they just find someone younger because they can. And they're like, yeah, you, you know, you had kids for me and raised them. But now I'm going to go with this woman. <laughs> you know, Like, see, so yeah, we don't know if that's what happens, but um, they don't necessarily show like the the emotion of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I also like how in this one, they actually show both sides pretty well. Like Alan Rickman, he's not a like disgusting man. Like you see that like he's. Like he's, he's like, you know, I've been a fool, you know, mm-hmm. you can see where he's just like, I, he, he doesn't really understand why he's done what he's done. He's not a hundred percent clear, which and he doesn't there are so many it. men who kind of do this and they don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. You know, we always assume that men are like out there hunting women to younger women, but sometimes it's just th- like, we have this younger woman who's after him and he just likes being chased. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He like so out of all of out of all of these stories, I, I've always appreciated that this one actually feels the fullest, the most round, and mm-hmm. the characters are so incredibly well acted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know? that's and that I, is so much the acting. Yeah, that's why I ranked it as high as I did too, because like you said, realism and then the acting is so good. The only thing I found unrealistic in this particular storyline is like Mia is coming at him so hard. It's like almost comical. Like at the Christmas party, she's literally dressed in a devil outfit for fuck's sake. (laughs) Like she's wearing a red dress and devil horns at a Christmas party. That I could believe. It's the things she says to him, I don't believe, where she's just like, I want what I like, I don't want something I need. I want something that I want. And she like she's coming at him so hard you're like she he's your boss yeah yeah like and that i don't believe as much like he, it's not like he's like uber rich or something he's not like like i don't understand that dynamic so the me side i don't understand thing. quite as much she has a daddy thing she wants a daddy i mean clearly but like so her character i did not understand quite as much but i mean i know girls like that who are, for whatever reason have set their eye on something but it's usually for a reason and with Alan Rickman's character, I don't understand it. I, I think it's just the older guy thing, the deep voice. Like she wants somebody like that. And maybe she likes a boss or an authority figure. But like what I found unrealistic about it is more just how exaggerated she is. Like you said, how obvious her come-ons are. Like he tells her she's looking pretty when they're dancing or something. And she says, it's all for you. And right, like, because he doesn't seem was- to be reciprocating very hard. Yeah. You know, like she seems to be chasing hard and she, he doesn't seem to be reciprocating very much. 
And then and then she goes back to her apartment after this party and her apartment even looks like a really slutty apartment. And I'm like, seriously, like, you, like we've got all these like bright pink and purple colors like she could be in a freaking bordello. I'm like, just like could she have just like a normal apartment like she has a devil horns normal apartment. Were they, were they trying to show like the contrast between his like homey and cozy life and then like her like exciting young probably like, maybe yeah. I don't know. But yes, I, I never noticed that. But thank you, Jen. for <laughs> She went like to her whore's den. She's really, she's really committed to this twenty four seven slut lifestyle. <laughs> I don't want to slut shame anyone, but apparently she has a slut den at home. Okay. Oh man. <laughs> and this is, in the beginning, doesn't Colin like hit on her as well? There's like some connection yeah. scene where he's like, "Hello, future wife," or something. She's like, "Ew, I don't want you." Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> Um, I oh, I really I, Emma like Emma Thompson sells this one so hard. I remember the oh, first yeah. time I watched this, I had like a I had like a breakdown. Like oh, I watched this in the theater, <laughs> and I just fully broke down for her. I was like, oh my god, this is so hard. Like this is the most terrible situation because you can feel in her, when she has that breakdown, you can feel all of her life choices where mm. she's just like, should I stay? Should I go? Yeah. Do, you know, do I stay for this family? Is it, right. is it worth staying? Do you love me? Do you not love me? Can we fix this? Is it worth fixing? You know, she's just, you can see where she feels so trapped. Yeah. I, I also like the portrayal of, uh, which is, I think this is how like I would feel more so than the actual like act of it is, is the, um, like your pride. Like yeah. she's, hum- like she's humiliated. Yeah. Like she feels humiliated. Um, and, she, and that. She- that's what I really feel like during that. Right. And you she know. does that all so like mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Richard Curtis um, actually told the guardian that like, it was his best bit of the film and it wasn't really like his doing because like all that was on the page was that she goes into the room and kind of breaks down. And she came up with the, how she performed that. And I guess she did it like 12 times in a row on the day, just breaking down over and over again. And wow. she's, she's, she's incredible. Yeah, yeah. She nailed it. She did a yeah. good job. And then you got to, to me, I got to think she had that experience with Kenneth Branagh in her past, probably, mm, where yeah. that's probably using that. Yeah, a little bit. Maybe. I don't know. But she, whatever she was using, she, it worked. And she's astounding. And nobody should do our Emma like that. She's <laughs> <laughs> even even Alan Rickman. Yeah. <laughs> um, other parts, other parts that people need to know where we continue the fat shaming is that she wore a fat suit for this role to make her look frumpier and fatter. Emma Thompson? Yeah, yeah. because she, oh. um, Richard Curtis felt that she was too good looking and that um, Alan Rickman oh. wouldn't leave her. <laughs> FYI, oh. fat, fat shaming continues. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, this movie. Wow. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any more about this this part of the movie? Oh, wait. I do want to say one more thing. I, I find it hilarious, and this will play out in the next sequence too, but I find it hilarious that her daughter is playing like the second lobster or something in a yes. oh, right. in nativity yeah. scene. It's kind of yeah. a throwaway thing, but it's such a random thing. Like that, entire, <laughs> that entire nativity scene is historical in general. Because right. if you've ever seen any weird British nativity scene, <laughs> that is actually what they're like. Where really? you're just like, what what has happened these days? These are so weird. It's like I took acid and I'm here now. <laughs> It almost makes it seem like more enjoyable somehow. Like, haha. <laughs> they're so, they're so, I saw, so I saw one with Lucy Lawless in it and it was amazing, but like literally it was like taking acid. Wow. Okay. So we're coming then this, the nativity scene will also be showing up in the Christmas pageant in our next plot, which is tied for first. 
or tied for second, however you want to say it, with the Emma Thompson plot. And that is the Prime Minister plot. Um, Yay. Yeah, me too. So I ranked it number one. I also have it as number one. And I ranked it five. (laughs) (laughs) So Sybil and I are in agreement on this one. And this one is starring (laughs) Hugh Grant. And Hugh Grant is kind of Richard Curtis's muse, if you will, I guess, because Mm. he's also in Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill. And you might also recognize him from Bridget Jones's Diary and About a Boy. Hugh Grant's everywhere. We love him. Well, at least Sybil and I love him. We'll talk about whether she absolutely do. Floppy hats and all. (laughs) And then Martine McCutcheon plays Natalie, and I guess she was pretty well known in Britain. She was in EastEnders, which is a hugely popular yeah, show. Yeah, huge, there. huge. And huge. Um, the part was actually written for her. Like originally, her character was named Martine, but they changed it because she they wanted her to audition and not get a big head. And she's also recently been on a show called Echo Beach. And then we have Billy Bob Thornton come in as the American president. And you might know him from Sling Blade, Fargo, Bad Santa, et cetera, many, many other roles. And I think he's very well cast here as a he's kind of sleazy, perfect. Yeah, kind of a sleazy Clinton-esque era president. Kind I mean, of so perfect. Like I can't even <laughs> imagine anybody else in that role, honestly. So our basic story is Hugh Grant is the newly elected prime minister, and he's introduced at the beginning meeting his household staff, which includes Natalie. And Natalie is this just like kind of charming young woman who keeps accidentally swearing in front of him, which I found hilarious and relatable because I totally accidentally swear in front of him too, probably. And um, then the, the prime minister immediately realizes he's developing a crush on Natalie. Around the same time, the U.S. president has arrived for a meeting. I think it was a trade deal. I don't know. Something. Some kind of important meeting. Um, the prime minister then sees the president hitting on Natalie, Natalie, sexually harassing Natalie. It's kind of yeah. unclear what happens exactly. But he suddenly decides after seeing this to get tough with the United States, where before he was going to be kind of acquiescent and let them kind of win in this trade deal. And I have to put here, I watched this movie with my uncle Mike. Okay. My uncle Mike had never seen it. I watched it with him a couple years ago. And like when this happened in the movie, he's like, what, what, this isn't how politics work. A prime minister <laughs> wouldn't do that. I really wish I'd taped his whole reaction to this movie. It was hilarious. So he felt, he felt about politics, by the way, we love uncle Mike. He felt about politics the way I felt about any, the filming scene where I'm like, this is not how filming is done. <laughs> Yeah, standards work. He was hilarious watching this movie. He just this is the part that broke him though. He was just like (laughs) (laughs) anyway. So after this um scene where he's tough on America, he does the famous dance scene to jump for my love. Um, he's really excited about himself, but then he decides to have Natalie move to a different position in the administration because it's too distracting being into her on a daily basis. But then at Christmas, he's all alone and he's reading his cards and he finds one from Natalie, who is confessing her feelings to him in a letter. And immediately he sets out on a door-to-door search for Natalie in her neighborhood. He knows her neighborhood, but not her address for some reason, and finds her eventually and accompanies her to the school Christmas concert with the aforementioned strange nativity. And to be discreet, they watch the Christmas concert from backstage, uh, start kissing each other. But then at the end of the Christmas pageant, they happen to be standing in the exact place where a curtain will be raised, revealing some kind of banner that says Merry Christmas. So all of Britain sees him and Natalie kissing each other. And yeah, that's their story. So why do I love this? The first reason I love this is I find Natalie to be the most relatable, normal, believable and funny character like of the women in the movie. Like I just she's charming and she looks like a normal, pretty girl. She doesn't look like some like fantasy 
fake girl. I think she is so, I love the swearing. I love her sense of humor. I love her accent. I love everything about Natalie. And I also like Hugh Grant, of course. Um, I think they have a good meet cute. Um, she has, she's given more personality and I can understand why they're attracted to each other. I like the Hugh Grant dancing scene, although apparently Hugh Grant hated it. Um, <laughs> But I love, I love the Hugh Grant going door to door as the prime minister scene. That is the funniest part of the movie for me. Just like all the people's reactions when he shows up and when he sings good Wenceslas list and then his bodyguard has like a really good voice. <laughs> Fucking lose it every time. I think it's so funny. <laughs> and yeah, I just, and I generally just think that the couple has good chemistry, that they're going to be happy. It's like the most uncomplicated feel good plot line somehow in the movie yeah. for me. Yeah, that's I, how I agree. it feels. I also think that Hugh Grant can pretty much sell any movie, even the worst movies he's in. I'm like, he can pull that together. He can play super sleazy and he can play so, so amazing. He, he's one of the best rom-com actors, period. Yeah. And how do you feel about um, Mar- Martine McCutcheon and Natalie? I mean, character? I think she did great. I think she was super sweet. I think she did a really nice job and they have good chemistry together. Would you watch a whole movie of just the prime minister falls in love? Oh my God. Yes. I would. I would like, I would love just that movie. Thank you. And yeah. I would like Billy Bob Thornton to still be the president. Thank you. <laughs> so Serena, it didn't do as much for you. Let's see. What did you, you had it at five. So it wasn't bad, I guess, but like, yeah, right in the middle. I mean, I did, I do still really like this story. Like I do. I think it's cute. I also really love the, the dance scene with Hugh Grant. Um, and I like watching it more knowing that he hated filming it. Like for some reason <laughs> I like zone in, I zone in more. Cause I was like, Oh, he hates every second of this. Oh my God. He's hating this. <laughs> um, as I'm watching it, I, I don't know if they, do they purposely make her look like Monica Lewinsky? Like, is that, oh. that's the whole thing I kept on thinking that like, even you mentioned the Billy Bob Thornton as like Clinton. And then she, to me was is so much like Monica Lewinsky. Like that's oh. all I could think about the whole time mm-hmm. I'm watching it, which is what took away from it for me. I hope that, that was ca- a co- I hope it was a coincidence. I just I hope so. Because because that's all I could think about. Because that's why I was like, well, is but then is this okay? Is this like an authority figure like taking advantage? Even though it's not, and even though like obviously it's it, it's 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 nicer than that or it's like well, but think, it's still yeah. you know it kind of did the same thing to me as it did with the the Colin Firth story where it was like okay this is a man of power and this is someone that he's working with and it is inappropriate I'm sorry well I think Hugh Grant goes out of, I think the Hugh Grant character though goes out of his way to actually try to avoid that though because he actually Correct. does have yes. her reassigned when he realizes yes. he's into her and then you yes. get Natalie like writing to him and confessing her love so for me that makes it all right because she's the one who's coming on to him she's a approaching him and like the one thing that did bug me though is when the president of the united states is shown kind of like doing something to her that's Mm -hmm. never really dealt with you know like we don't Mm -hmm. like know whether he was abusing her like i'm assuming he was Mm -hmm. you know but but instead of like talking to her about it he's just like all of a sudden changing england's trade policy (laughs) like which is great but like you know yeah sexual harassment is kind of like brushed over there yeah yeah there is a few holes in this like plot line, which again, maybe is why it like ranked a little lower or higher for me or whatever. Um, yeah. Cause again, like I was having like a hard time, like this is the prime minister. Like this is how it happens. I guess same thing as like your uncle, Michael, like, uh, <laughs> like this is not how this works. Like, sorry, <laughs> this is too ridiculous for me. That's all. But I still love it. I think Hugh Grant's great and wonderful. And I wish he was the prime minister. I mean, 
that'd be awesome. I just I like I like Martine McCutcheon so much though. I kind of like wish like now I kind of almost want to watch EastEnders. Like I don't know. Oh, I, it's a long show though, so I don't know. Oh, it's also so boring and depressing. Oh, really? But did, but did we talk about how much they fat shamed her in this segment as yes. well? Like, okay, whoa. let's talk about how she's not fat in any yeah, way, right. shape, and form. Yeah. Yeah. How and if it was written for her, out? how did he write that she's fat? What is his skewed perception of people's bodies? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really almost like over the top too, because like they have like the black female assistant who's like one of the only black women in the movie. It gets to be the biggest fat shamer, which that sucks. Mm-hmm. And she's all like, she has quite sizable ass or something. And she yeah. has this part where she says her ex-boyfriend. She's like thunder thighs or something. Yeah, so she had thighs like big fat tree trunks. Like it's like very like descriptive. Like Right, like, and then her weird. dad calls her like chunky or some shit like that clumpy yeah he calls her plumpy yeah i'm like i'm like it literally is pointed out so many times (laughs) that she's fat like it is her one descriptive feature and you're like why she she swears like a sailor too and then even even (laughs) at the end even at the end when like um they're again the airport scene and they're they're kind of meeting each other again and she runs into his arms i probably wouldn't have even known what he said i don't think i would have even picked it up but i had the captions on mm-hmm. and like and he says you weigh a lot or you does weigh he seriously he yes. says that yes he oh. does and i was like what you just ruined that moment and she's like oh shut up you know like it's like this inside joke between them that she's fat i was like Dude. can you guys please stop this <laughs> Dude. I'm telling you, this I'm movie has, is goes full of fat shaming. Colin goes to Wisconsin is now at number one, and this is a <laughs> number two. Yeah. It is actually one of the reasons that, like, I, I mean, one of the reasons as I've watched this movie over and over, I'm just like, I have more and more trouble. That, like, I'm like, I... I have trouble. I have troubles. <laughs> yes. Why? Why? It's just so unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Then sit down with Richard Curtis and be like, what do you have against fat people? <laughs> fat people deserve love, like love. And right. It's, it's and not just is, women. He's fat shaming. is fat in too. this movie. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, the thing. It's, it's messed up. Yeah, that's messed up. I'm really sad that he said that to her. I didn't know that. Right. At the end, yes, when she runs into his arms and she like throws her legs around him and he's like, God, you weigh a lot. And then she's like, oh, shut up or whatever. Oh, you better make him shut up, Natalie. Make him <laughs> shut up good. <laughs> she better be in charge of all the policy from now on. I'm <laughs> so we've already talked about a lot of the common critiques of love, actually, but like um, there's a couple that critiques that I've read that I think are really funny or interesting. And so I'm going to link to those in the show notes. I particularly want to shout out to this like uh, humorous one by Lindy West. It's a lot more cynical than my critique of love actually, but every time I read it, I laugh at least once. So I recommend if you have time, check it out. It's in the show notes and read about it. It's pretty funny. So before we get to the love, the before we get to our double feature recommendations, just really quick, I wanted to know: Would you guys want a Love Actually reboot, and what do you think that would be like if there was one? I would love a Love Actually reboot. I think that I don't know if you could do it uh, because you know, but I I think that if you could reboot this, I would love to watch one because I think that you could rewrite some of the pieces to be now better. And I, I loved it so much when I first watched it that I would, I think I would like it even better if it, we'd, you took care of some of the stuff that I don't like as much, like what, 20 years later or whatever. Yeah. And would you keep the same stories or would you think you, would you want I would actually stories? just take the theme of it and rewrite, I would rewrite it. 
Like yeah. just take the theme of Love Actually, but not try to redo the same thing. I wouldn't yeah, like I, footloose it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I would want new stories, and I would definitely like. We definitely need some gay lesbian love stories. Yeah, like that. I mean, there's so there's so many places you could go with it. Yeah, and still maybe, Love Actually. Yeah, for sure. And immigrants would be interesting too because yeah, there's England, so much to England, do. England has a very diverse population, actually. So it'd be nice to see more of that. Um, and even not immigrants, just people of color, like from England, like, yeah, it would be cool. Anyway, I would, I don't know what the stories would be though. Like there would definitely be different stories. Cause nowadays, like people falling in love at work isn't a thing. We'd probably have to like have online dating be a factor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would love Which- to see some, like, I'd love to see some like, you know, like dungeons or something. You have somebody who falls in love in like a dungeon <laughs> or something, a BDSM room. <laughs> You know, just like, but like, and uh, like the stuff that he didn't make it where he has like somebody, somebody in a wheelchair and maybe he has like a deaf couple or something. He definitely has like lesbians, you know, maybe this is somebody who got out of prison. I don't know. There's so much room. Yeah. Serena, would you watch or reboot be interested in something like that or? I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess I'd be fine with it. I, I guess for me, this is such like a, a nostalgic feeling for it that, that I like it the way it is. Hmm. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if I would like a, another one as much. I think they could still do something like that with different stories, but I personally wouldn't be as attached to it. Yeah. And it's very easy for it to go wrong, unfortunately, because we've seen some of the American films that have tried to like use this kind of format, like Valentine's day or new year's mm, and they're just oh really God. bad. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Oh God. Yes. You need yes. a good writer. You would need yes. like a, probably not Richard Curtis himself because he'd mm-hmm. probably just still talk about how everyone's fat when they're not or something, but <laughs> maybe somebody, somebody of equal talent, like yeah. and fewer issues maybe. <laughs> and I appreciate the Britishness of it, you know, yeah. like the humor of it. Like there's so much British humor in it that I, that's, it makes it better for me. For sure. Agreed. For sure. Agreed. Speaking of Britishness, I think quite a few of us are going to have some Britishness in our double feature recommendations today. For my double feature recommendations, I'm giving you a British Christmas, basically, okay? So my first double feature recommendation is about a boy, also starring Hugh Grant. Um, It takes place, like, the beginning and end of the film are set at Christmas, and it's kind of over the course of a year. And I love this movie so much. Um, Of course, we have Nicholas Holt that we talked about in the Warm Bodies episode. It's his, Mm -hmm. like, first big role playing the the Mm -hmm. boy in the title. And it's just a kind of about Hugh Grant kind of like being this like lonely guy who like kind of learns to, well, not lonely, this independent guy who kind of learns that he needs people in his life. And there's a love story, but there's also family stories and there's like some Christmas in it. So I think this would be a really good pairing and you get two Hugh Grant movies. Um, My second double feature recommendation, Richard Curtis also wrote the screenplay for this, not the original story, Bridget Jones's Diary. And the obvious reason to recommend Bridget Jones's Diary is you get Colin Firth and Hugh Grant in this movie. So you get like a double feature with multiple actors from Love Actually and another love story. And I think they're very funny together in this movie, like the way they play off each other. It's kind of a play on Pride and Prejudice in some ways. And it's very British humor throughout this movie and a great ensemble cast. So I'd really, I think it would be a great double feature. And then finally, I only watched this movie last, this last year when we were doing Crazy Rich Asians because of Henry Golding last Christmas. Now I expected this movie to suck and then it didn't suck. I actually kind of liked it and Lee liked it too. And it's like also set at Christmas time, also a love story. Emma Thompson is in the movie from Love Actually, and she also was one of the writers on the screenplay. So I think it's worth watching. 
it's definitely it'll get you in the Christmas spirit. And it's also very British, like a lot of British traditions and just scenery in this movie. So I think it would be a good double feature as well. Have you guys watched Last Christmas? Yet? I was going to say I don't know. I'm trying. I'm looking it up right now because I don't remember. No, I don't. I don't think so. I can't remember what like what this movie is. Last it's Christmas. you don't want to know about the plot, okay? Like if you hear about the plot, first thing you're not going to want to watch it. This movie oh, kind of it's oh, got the guy. Oh, from yes, I, I know which one this is. Asian. I did not wind up seeing this. Okay. Um, it's actually good. It's actually good. Okay, I will make sure because I remember it has the, what you buried in the lead is it's the chick from um, Game of Thrones. Game, yeah, of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yes, Amelia Clark. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Henry Golding is the reason I watched it because I watched him in Crazy Rich Asians and I wanted mm-hmm. to see what else he had done. So, but I will actually watch it for this Christmas then. Cool, very cool. Um, so what I have on my queue is Notting Hill, obviously fantastic film. Takes place over an entire year, so Christmas is in it. Uh, starring Hugh Grant and so good. Love this film. Also written by Richard Richard Curtis. Uh, music and lyric, which has probably. My it's probably my favorite Hugh Grant film. I watch it all the time, and I usually watch it after I have watched uh, Love Actually. Oh, okay. Because he does the exact same dance moves in it, <laughs> identical <laughs> dance moves. So if you've never watched it, it's fantastic. He is a um, old rocker. He's like an old eighties rocker, and he's just trying to keep his you know his 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 life together. And he he essentially writes. He he does music, but he's he's a horrible lyricist. So he's trying to find a lyricist, and it's a great movie. Love it. And then I'm going to put out there my last one is Stranger Than Fiction. And Serena, even if you don't like Will Smith, this is so good. This is Will Emma Thompson. Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Yeah, Will, Will Ferrell. Ferrell. She has nothing against Will Smith, as far as I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me start that again. Stranger Than Fiction, which is Will Ferrell, and uh, even if you don't like him. He's yeah. this is a this is a super straight role for him. I think this is one of the first okay. like straight roles that he did. Okay. And he's he's a guy who's realizing that he that somebody is writing his life. Mm. And it's Emma Thompson. Oh. It's so incredibly good. Okay. I'll have to watch it. Yeah, it's really, really good. And it's a straight movie. It's not like a comedy. And why does it go with um, Love Actually for you? Like- it goes with Love Actually because, first of all, you have Emma Thompson in it. But also it has the same kind of feel to it. It has like this this like timeliness to it where it's like your your time is ticking away and you need to, you need to find yourself. Because a lot of Love Actually has th- these moments in it where like you're trying to find yourself and sometimes you're finding yourself through love. But try- a lot of it is you're trying to find yourself within a relationship. Hmm. And his relationship is with himself. Okay. Okay. I see. And there that. is a love story in it as well. So there is a love story in it as well. But that's like a a broader piece. All right. I guess. Uh, so my picks. This is kind of hard for me because I have. I'm. I'm not really a fan of Christmas rom coms. Um. So I was kind of having a hard time like thinking about this. But I. I did really like the holiday. Um. That that came out in like. Uh. I guess 2006, and it has. It has some Britishness to it. Um, Jude Law is in it. Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz, Jack Black, and basically it's about um, Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz like wife swap for the holiday, or not wife swap. That's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> they house swap. <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. Yes, they they house swap, not wife swap. They house swap um for the season and then end up finding like local love. Um Kate Winslet finds Jack Black and Cameron Diaz Jude Law. Blah blah blah. It's a little schmaltzy, but um it's cute. I really like the 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 town that Jude Law is in. I just I love that like, Englishness. I love England towns, so anything with that I'll I'll watch. Um and then my second pick was again like you know, it's not my my favorite um genre, but I thought Four Christmases was was pretty funny. It stars Reese Witherspoon and Vince Vaughn. And it's about them. Something happens to their like Christmas vacation um, falls apart. So they end up deciding to spend Christmas with each other's families, but each other's families are all divorced. So they have to go to like four different houses and like comedy ensues. Mm. Um, So it has that Christmas theme to it. It's pretty funny. And then I picked four weddings and a funeral, which we talked about earlier a little bit. Um, it also stars Hugh Grant and it, it's written by um, Richard Curtis. Yeah. Richard Curtis. It has that same like British feel to it. And I think that's one of the first times you actually like kind of get to know Hugh Grant. He's super dreamy in it. So uh, yeah, those are my picks. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, I'm a big four weddings and a funeral. It was almost one of my picks too. So Yeah. And um, yeah, so thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Like, um, I haven't finalized the Christmas, the rest of their Christmas shows, but rest assured there will be at least two more Christmas episodes in our Christmas rom-com series. And um, looking forward to doing them. And if I don't talk to you guys on the podcast before, then I will officially wish you a podcast. Happy holidays right now. <laughs> All right. Well, oh, thank, thank you. you. Have a good one, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Right, bye.